fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, welcome back to Just Chill with Oliver George Episode 21 And it has been a while It feels good to be back in the saddle I should say first that if you're listening to this uh, or watching this rather on YouTube and you want to take us on your jog or some sort of other situation where you'd prefer audio only, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean as well. And vice versa, if you're hearing this wherever you may be, come check out the visual version on YouTube. Uh, if you want to contact the show, it's just chillpodcasting at gmail.com. Hit me up with any cool guest ideas or constructive criticism, whatever you may be, just please reach out if you want to. Now, the guest today, very, very special. But before I get to that, uh, I should explain a bit why we've been on hiatus. Some of it's obvious with the pandemic situation that swept over the world. Uh, you know, everyone's lives were turned pretty upside down. But beyond that, uh, we've got kind of a unique situation here because my significant other is an ICU nurse working on the front lines. We had three kids and the older two out of school. So just there was too many other things really to, to focus on. Beyond that, also just doing the actual sit-down face-to-face podcast the way I like to do it. Uh, nobody was really going to want to come over for that, especially with uh, Kelly working at the hospital. So, you know, it just seemed like a good time to take a step back and uh, wait it out for a bit, you know. But we saw a unique opportunity to do this episode here today because Kelly goes back to work tomorrow but has been on vacation for a few weeks. So my dad, uh, who's actually the guest today, felt safe coming here since we know she's not carrying any uh, horrible COVIDness. <laughs> so my dad, I should say, if you've never seen the show before, um, it's a, a bit of a special guest, obviously, because he's my dad, but he's also the behind the scenes man here at Just Chill, doing the technical stuff, making sure everybody's on camera, sounding good. Also, this show wouldn't exist without him for just helping out with funding and, and morale even, you know. So uh, I think it was about time to get him on here and, and learn about the man himself. So without further ado, I'll say it like a French person, uh, my dad, Brian Riley. Hello, everyone. Very pleased to be here. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, you've been here, but it must feel weird sitting there. Feels very weird sitting here. Yes, I agree <laughs> with that. <laughs> well, and uh, Brian Riley, I should say, uh, if you haven't heard me mention it on other episodes, that could be a little confusing. My uh, last name is not George. That's actually my middle name. Uh, Riley is my last name and my dad's middle name is Oliver. So it's kind of full circle confusing there, but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, something that I actually planned for a while. I wanted to originally surprise you with a father's day interview where you thought we would be interviewing somebody else. And then last minute, just kind of be like, ah, ambush. Yeah. Ambush. Well, I guess you could call it an ambush. ambush interview. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I kind of had to tell you in this case, cause <laughs> I'm sure you would have been wondering who the hell's the guest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, things are starting to loosen up now, but, uh, I don't think anyone would be ready to come over at this point. So you got to get that plexiglass. Yeah, that's actually something that I'm, I'm looking into now. We're a nice distance away, at least. Yeah, almost two meters. Yeah. I'm starting to think it's getting to that point in society where I could start asking people again. And there would yeah. be some people as long as they're not, you know, immunocompromised or any of that. And we are in our extended family bubble here. So, yeah, they were all family right now. So, yeah. I mean, like the fact that. Uh, no one's been working at the hospital for the last couple of weeks. Definitely yeah, takes the edge off. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, we even had a little COVID sort of scare there, uh, I guess, about a week ago. That's right. Yeah. We, Kelly was on vacation, but we both kind of had 
what we thought were symptoms that could be COVID, we both felt kind of lethargic and um, it was mainly like feeling like a shortness of breath too, that really got us scared, but I have massive anxiety. So it became like chicken and the egg kind of situation because everybody knows when you're starting to have a, a panic attack kind of moment, it definitely, the breathing is one of the first things that gets. Well, I think everyone uh, can feel a little panicky when it comes to COVID, the great unknown, right? I mean, you might get the sniffles or you might be on a ventilator close to death. You, you just don't know what way the dice are going to roll and while the the risk factor goes up as you get older hey you could be in your 20s or your 30s and be one of the unlucky ones so there's that kind of roulette wheel thing going for everybody yeah there was a lot of uncertainty just floating around and still is because yeah. a lot of mutation in the virus it sounded like yeah, and but it's minor minor mutations all the mutations that they've tracked i mean none of them have led to any increase in uh, you know the vitality or the morbidity associated with uh, the disease so hmm. um, so do they know why certain people who were, say, healthy and younger were, you know, experienced no, the, intense I mean, symptoms in some cases? What people, what people forget, I think, at this stage of this disease is that this is brand new to humanity. And it takes a lot of work, effort, and data to start uncovering, you know, what is this thing? What, how does it work? I mean, I've read so much stuff about it. Like today, I just read something that said that people with type O blood are a little more resistant. They're like 8 to 14% more resistant to the disease. And A is more vulnerable, right? I've heard that as well. I thought yeah. that actually had come out uh, quite a while ago now. The, I remember hearing did. something. The A did, but the O just has recently come out. Hmm. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that they're they're finding out. And, uh, you know, it, it can be ethnicity, you know, it can, you know, which relates ultimately into what's in your own DNA. Yeah, I was going to say genetic markers seem to be the only yeah, theory that makes sense. People at high altitudes, they're finding it's less morbidity for people who live at extreme elevations. So they're going, okay, what's that all about? Well, I would assume that's because they have more experience, uh, like their lungs are stronger from adapting to those climates and could, less could oxygenated be, areas. Those are things that need to be investigated and proven to be true right and unfortunately we live in a time where everybody wants a, an answer right fucking now <laughs> that's right it's, it's the same thing as when they question politicians right i mean i always feel sorry believe it or not for politicians which uh you know other times i don't feel sorry for. yeah i was going to say a lot of people might not echo yeah, that sentiment but but one of the things that that uh, modern media and, and instant gratification has brought in us is that guys ask these these incredible questions to a prime minister who, before he became prime minister, might have been a theater director or <laughs> whatever. Right? Let's just say, and yeah. Says, you know, you should have the answer on this detailed scientific question on this or on finance or yeah. on trade or whatever it is. And so they, they have to say something. So they do. And then people chop the shit out of it. Yeah, you can't really say the right thing no matter you know, what. The real, the real thing is you should have the experts at hand and say, you know, I'm going to direct you to the right person who can answer that in the detail that you want. Yeah. But that's just not how it's evolved. Anyway, we're way off topic. No, but, uh, there's no off topic yeah, really yeah, here. Yeah, but I don't want to go down a, a politician in a... Well, it's interesting stuff because I think a lot of people are thinking about that same situation. Every time the prime minister gives an update on COVID or, or the premier or whatever, everyone's expecting, you know, all the answers to flow. And, and it's just not really something that's possible at this point with such a... And people don't want to hear some of the, some of the real detail that's out there, which is, you know, and I think I've said this to you before, Prior to now, the fastest development of a vaccine ever was the development of the mumps vaccine in the early 60s, and that took four years. Really? Yeah, that's the fastest ever. And people are saying, well, can we have this in 12 months? And 
It's going to be now. We've never had science at the level that it's at today. We've yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, we've never had this degree of international collaboration. We've never had fifty-one billion dollars directed just at getting a vaccine. So maybe it will be twelve months, and and you know that would be great. But there's also the luck of the draw, right? You know, the, there's so many different ways to manufacture vaccines. There's different um, antigenic properties of the virus that you're trying to lock onto, whether it's in the spike protein or something in the shell or something in how it replicates once it's inside the cell. There's a lot of different ways to... <laughs> Your biology masters things, is right? showing. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, there's a lot of different ways to try to, to either attack the virus, prevent it from doing what it does, or to actually kill the virus before it gets a chance to do what it does. Um, and I think the other day, the New York Times just started a new tracker. They have all these different trackers related to disease. The newest one is on vaccines. They just did the first one. There's like 172 vaccines, possible potential vaccines. In development, in, sort in of. In the pipeline. Yeah. Most of them are at stage zero, which they're not even ready to work on humans. So they're just playing with cells. Yeah. But there's like seven, I think, at stage one, seven at stage two, and one at stage three, which is where they're doing human trials. Wow. So everyone's really hoping that one's going to come through. But, guys, that's the first one. Of 70-something, you know, uh, yeah. 172 or something. Yeah, whatever like the number is, yeah. Pipeline, so, so we'll see. But uh, well, the other thing I think that people forget uh, is that it may not be possible to have a vaccine at all. I mean, people have been trying to build a permanent flu vaccine, for instance, that will one shot, you're good for the rest of your mm -hmm. life kind of thing. And but every year they have to tweak it. it, right? Let alone colds, where they've never had a vaccine for cold at all. Mm. And these are all coronaviruses. Oh, really? Yeah. They're all I knew the they were same, viruses. They're all but in the same family. They're all like a coronavirus type. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Um, the other thing people tend to forget, uh, which is difficult in this time, is that while we have this, we still have all the other stuff out there. So you and Kelly weren't feeling well. You know, you could have picked something else up, but whatever people pick up these days they're instantly suspicious it's covid yeah and, and COVID. it's hard not to be when it's being shoved down your throat well, by the media yeah yeah and and because covid so, to date so far has had so many different presentations mm -hmm. right i mean it can, it can and they're learning more about it every day too the people who have like the sniffles and they're over it and all that but uh, they're finding it some people get it in the brain it affects the heart of course it screws with your lungs maybe it's going into your spleen or your liver I mean, it's just... Uh, but it's worth it to say that there's other things that'll mess you up out there because, you know, yeah. uh, a couple of years ago, I had a really bad virus. I've been sick, I, you know, in the last four years, I maybe got a bug like twice or something like that. But one time was really, really bad and I couldn't eat anything for days. I didn't basically eat any food for, you know, three days and I lost about 10 pounds in three or four days and it was really unhealthy. And they said there was um, liquid in my abdomen when they did an ultrasound that they didn't really know what was up with that uh, yeah and eventually everything you know i got better but um that wasn't covid because covid wasn't around back then but it was one of the worst experiences of my life yeah. um but i think with covid it's it's the breathing thing that made me freaked out but then again that could have been my anxiety really really heeping onto that so yeah. i don't know but that, I, that's one of the reasons i wanted you to keep talking about this because I think there's constantly new things coming up in the news, and I know a lot of people, they read just like the headline, and then they say, oh, because uh, I'm the kind of that fucking guy, and I said that stuff to you the other day that I had read, um, the first one being that they, a lot of people online were trying to say that the, the World Health Organization and the CDC were backtracking on a lot of stuff, saying that the whole asymptomatic spreading was not nearly as um, serious as, as they had WHO led on. Said that. WHO said that. But, you, but then I said that to you, and you told me sort of, 
further developments on that, you know, and I, I, because you have a, an actual master's in biology, you're not just someone talking out of your ass. When you read these things, you actually filter it through a scientist's sort yeah, of brain, yeah. you know, like I'm to be clear, I'm no expert either. I'm not a virologist or anything. Well, like yeah, that. you're not actively like yeah, a scientist yeah. or anything, but you, you well, know, I've been reading, I try to read in depth articles when I can and try to, you know, and cross reference. Yeah, yeah. And double check stuff. Yeah. But, but this is a, this is a weird beast. This one, it's a, uh, I mean, people are seeming to get get over it, and then suddenly, like a month after they've been completely recovered, they seem to come down with stuff again. And you, and you, so no one no one knows this animal yet. It's so weird. Yeah, and so it's shouldn't call it an animal because it's not an animal, but no one understands this virus yet. Yeah, and it's going to be years until we have the full, full story. They understand. Yeah, they'll they may produce a vaccine against it. Still doesn't mean they understand it. It just means they were able to build a vaccine against it, and thank God that we're all waiting for that day. Especially, yeah. like you said, people in their 60s and 70s who are more at risk for really suffering if they should happen to catch this thing. Or people who are on cancer medication already, sure, or you know, there's a, a myriad of things that could be yeah. suffering from. But um, yeah, I guess maybe at this point we should maybe take a turn. It's yeah. like you know, people are like, "Hey, did you miss us while you were in the in the <laughs> pandemic? Let's talk about COVID for half an hour." Um, but you know, it, it's one of those weird things. Actually, when I was writing my notes, I was like, I gotta address some of this shit because it's been so long since I've done an episode and, and I always kind of, you know, I don't like to have much of a filter. I like to speak and share and, and talking's good in these kind of situations. So, uh, as much as I don't want to make the, the whole focus of the show here, it's, it would have been a weird elephant in the room to not talk yeah, about sure, COVID absolutely. and same thing with the, you know, the situation going on in the U S and, and really it affects the world with the George Floyd protests and all that. Again, not going to go into that super deep because I don't think, uh, you know, like people want to be hearing two privileged anymore. white guys go on and on about our yeah, opinions. Yeah. But um, but yeah, this should have happened a long time ago and th you should be an ally. You should definitely support all these causes and, and hear what these people have to say and put yourself in their shoes and check yourself and all the times that you were being an idiot or prejudiced or race. I mean, everyone has a unique story. Everyone grows up differently. Everyone has, yeah. you know, different situations around them. But uh, if you're going to say that you've never been racist or never had a prejudice bone in your body, I don't think you're telling the truth because when you're upset, when people are angry, that's just something we do. We find, and it might not be racially. It might be just like that fat fuck, or you just find some way to alienate the person that you're mad at. That's different from you because obviously that would be kind of a stupid way to insult someone like stupid ginger and you have ginger hair. Well, that's kind of a dumb insult, but yeah, you know, you find a way to sort of divide and and say Ugh, you're that and i'm this or whatever it may be it may be a male female thing or a sexuality preference but it's all wrong just and that's the part that I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around because i've literally always tried to live my life like just meet someone and then if they're an asshole they're an asshole but other than that if you're not an asshole we're good <laughs> like yeah. i don't care who you want to fuck i don't care uh, i shouldn't say i don't care because you know maybe i i'll talk to you about that like I don't want to say I don't care about your heritage because I'm interested to learn about people's heritage. But I mean, I don't care in the sense that that's not going to affect whether or not I want to hang out with you. And and I really have a hard time understanding people's brains that work like that. And and I can only imagine it's been some kind of conditioning in the formative years of their life when they're, you know, zero to 10 years old and they're being raised by someone who has their own prejudices that just bleed through whether intentionally or not, you know? Absolutely. I mean, we've all seen the pictures or, or the videos of, small children of different backgrounds and they have no con concept at all of yeah interracial children hugging exactly. and they could care yeah. less about color of the so skin that, so that really argues to yeah this is it's something that's learned, learned of yeah. course yeah, yeah. 
but but I don't know. Still, the people that double down, it gets me even more. The people were like, like wake up, you know. <laughs> the one the one thing I draw some hope from in this particular time is I remember as a kid, you know, in the '60s, watching all the social unrest and and all the marches and things like that. And what you would see is you would you would see the all of the black people together marching for their rights and you'd see the odd white person. Mm. But the thing that's really remarkable to me about these protests are sometimes, uh, I mean- Most of the time, it's- most of, it, There's a real blend. You see tons of different people. Yeah, of course, there's still tons of black people, but there's tons of yeah. Asian people and tons of indigenous and, people. And, and lots of white people right in- White people too, yeah. Way more than I've ever seen before, and that gives me hope. Yeah. That, like what I'd really like to see this time is some permanent change come out of this, right, to the good. The world needs to. Yeah, it, it really is. We have enough other problems with the climate, which everyone seems to have, that's gone quietly in, into the background. Yeah. The climate change, guys, if we don't get the planet straight, it's not going to matter in a couple hundred years. Yeah, you're certainly not going to care <laughs> about if somebody's a different a lot of other reasons. heritage than you. That's going to be the last thing on your mind when the world's on fire. Yeah, so let's get our priorities straight. And, and hey, we're all human beings. Like they say, you scrape the skin off. Yeah. All the same underneath. And everybody just wants to be happy in the end. Everybody just wants to find love, be sure. successful, like and everyone, everyone should have an equal right. shot at that, you know? And and that's the part that as white people we definitely have to recognize that that hasn't been the case for a shit ton of other people that aren't white. And and to some degree, you know, gender as well, uh, yeah, that's gotten better, but you know, there's still equality all over the place and uh I struggle like w when this was all blowing up I, I just struggle with knowing what to say and especially with social media because I kind of hate social media a lot of the time anyways. And, and in a moment like that, especially if I hadn't posted for weeks already because it's the fucking pandemic and, and I just haven't been very active. It's, you know, you, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Cause if you jump in, then, then people think, Oh, well, he hasn't posted anything in weeks and now he's coming in just a virtue signal or whatever. And if you don't say something, then people say, Oh, well you, what, you don't care. You don't have an opinion about this. And, and my answer to that is, is talk to me. Like, that's, again, why I like just sitting down with people and having an eye. Because you can tell when someone's being genuine, when you're looking them in the eyes 99% of the time. And that's just, you know. It's I, hard, hard to do in social media. Though. Yeah, the online platform. Universe and everything else. You're, you're speaking, in some cases, to hundreds or to thousands at once. Yeah. And it's... And, and some of them are... Oh, you mean if you're like a celebrity or something? Yeah. Or someone's got a following. Right? Yeah. Even just, you know, on Facebook and everyone has their 100 to 150 or... Whatever your number is, yeah. Whatever your number is. You're saying something and it's going to a lot of different filters. And it's going to be inflammatory to someone almost no matter yeah, what you I mean, say. And that's that's the hard thing too. And that, that stops some participation because especially those of us who would be associated with having had privilege or have privilege and all this, you're walking on eggshells because you, you want to show that... My heart's in the right place. You I'm have compassion you, and you, yeah. But will my words reflect that correctly or will I say something that's a little off and somebody goes, hey, hang on, that's not sitting well with me. And Well, I think that in that situation, if someone says something like that, especially if they're a person of color or whatever, um, then the thing to do is n like just to recognize that and say, okay, well, you know, thank you for calling me on that and, and how can I continue to better myself, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and I, I guess I, I always just really tried to do that in my life as far as just being an empathetic person. Um, again, whether it's race or sexuality or whatever, I just, I don't know. I, I just like talking to people and it's never really been a big issue to me. But, but then again, even, even looking back at myself, now that I'm an adult, I can easily uh, locate times in my life where I felt prejudice towards other people. 
I didn't act on it because I'm not a piece of shit, but I still feel shitty about having those moments. But I'm, I'm talking when I was in, you know, grade nine. And the reasons for that, I remember feeling prejudiced towards uh, some people of color because I had gotten jacked a few times. Like I got my shit stolen. People come up. I got punched in the head once. You know, they steal your weed. They stole candy from us, like anything you fucking had. And but did they do it because they were people of color? No, that was just the situation that happened to me. And even if if that situation, you know, they were people of color. Well, what I didn't understand then is they probably resented the shit out of me, not for me personally, but because I was this white middle class fucker to them. And they're, you know, we literally had the buildings, uh, the apartment buildings near our school where the lower class people lived and really tight sort of quarters that they called KD land, Kraft Innerland. That was the, the name, which is like super offensive. It's not maybe directly racist, but like in the context, it's kind of fucking racist. Yeah. Um, you know, so a lot of that looking back, I go, oh shit. But there, you know, when I was a, a grade niner getting my, my shit stolen and getting jacked and punched by some guy it's very easy for your brain to just jump to like, oh, again, what we were talking about earlier, like what's different about this person? Because my friends who I hang out with that look like me don't do that. They don't steal my shit, you know, yeah. but it's just it's nice to be able to be an adult and look back with a, a wider lens and be like, OK, well, they were coming. They were struggling way more than me. They were trying to just get by and they saw me as this representation of the white man holding them down, you know. Yeah, well, so so I mean, that's a very good um, thing to think about for a second, because if we all step back. And, you know, you go to Dickens kind of England, right, where everyone's pretty much white at the time. Hoity-toity, right? like. Well, well you, no, you get into a class. It's a class warfare thing. Human beings are, are, are just not the greatest sometimes because they're always looking for sometimes. a way to be better than somebody else. Right? Yeah. And if you take an all-white society, you go, okay, everyone's white. But then you got the poor, you got the middle class, and you got the rich upper class. Yeah, people and, always. And with class, you have, like, nobility. Right. You've got the professionals and then you've got the, you know, the sweeper uppers kind of thing. Yeah. And to some extent, we still have that with the added complexities of mixed mixed uh, races and things like that on top of that. So, yeah. And I wish we could all just be this wonderful altruistic group of human beings that just looks for the best in everybody and wants to help everybody out. And shoot. Yeah, I just wish people would look at difference as something to be embraced as yeah. opposed to um, like a, something to fear, you know. So hopefully, like, mankind is moving in this direction, going back full circle to it being a learned behavior or, or learned reactions, is, is if we, whoever is at the, the mature part of the cycle, if we can get better there and change our teachings and our social behaviors and things so that the new folks that are being born and coming into it are getting better learning behaviors, then they're going to they're, they're gonna be better. Hmm. And then we can reach some of these goals. But I, I feel very hopeful in a lot of ways for the same reason. Like it does seem to be a real change happening. People are are getting on board with the idea of not being shitty to people for no reason, just based on stuff you can't even control and stuff that shouldn't even matter. But I don't know. I'm always torn, um, largely because of social media and the shit you see on there. It's like for every nice moment I see, there's some asshole redneck with a confederate flag piece of shit usually fully loaded that i go like this guy's never gonna change and he's got a bunch of friends who are never gonna change and then and then i'm not saying we should stop by any means of course keep fighting that fight but those people terrify me and, and they make me go like fuck like how do we get rid of those guys just got to slowly breed them out generation after generation and educate them out yeah, just they're so stubborn and, and idiotic from what I've seen. A lot of them, you know, like just they, it's like they revel in in 
pissing people off or something. Like, part of it is just assholes. People are just assholes. But white supremacists just seem to be super assholes by nature. Well, and one of the things, too, and I, I saw it in a, something I read the other day. And it was a black person trying to explain what they need from white people mm-hmm. to help turn things around. And the way it was phrased was along the lines of, I don't need white people to be woke. I mean, great if you are, but that doesn't help. You need to be actively anti-racist. I need help you, change the system. You need to take action, not do what so much of society is very good at doing, which is the silent nod mm-hmm. while they're sitting in their houses. They're not going out to the marches. They're not you know, actively volunteering to see what can I do to help effect change. That's always a, the fringe activist type, which tend to be the younger, more idealistic folks who are striving for that ideal yeah. thing. It's like the hippies in the yeah, 60s. Something happens when you get into your 30s and your 40s and, and older, not to everybody, but to, let's say, the silent majority out there. You know, they've got they become complacent, jobs, kind you know, of. They got their jobs, they're raising families, they got to pay their mortgage, they have all this stuff. And it says, well, no. Yeah, you got to do that, but you really got to do this other thing too. And yeah, well, you know, on my downtime, I like to go to a baseball game, or I like to. Yeah, they just. Uh, yeah, I like to read, or it's like just to, complacency. Like, yeah, I'm too old. I got too much on my I plate. It's not my problem or anymore, or whatever. And that's not helping anything. No. And, and to energize that silent mob out there to move to the good and to be active might change things. So we'll see if we can get there. Well, and this, I, I don't know. I mean, I know there's a lot of still racism in Canada as well. And, and it sounds like the RCMP is still pretty fucked up in a lot of places. And there's a lot of that up here too. Not as bad, I would say, as the states where like the light has been shining down the last couple of weeks and you're seeing every rat in every corner. And, and there's a lot of them. Like it's... Anyone who watched the Floyd death. Well, I mean, what about just... that old guy who got pushed at the rally and blood coming out of his ears and all that, you know, like... And the stuff Trump said after that, too. Good Lord. Anyways. Uh, their president is a whole other. Yeah. yeah I don't let's know. Let's not even go there. Yeah, let's not. Um, <laughs> I'm sure everyone's already had enough of this. It's Again, it was one of those things. We got to talk about it because it's it's the world we're living in right now. And it's important to talk about it, too. So I'm glad we're talking about it. But I also, you know, we, we want to have some fun here as well for uh, sure. the father-son connection. Well, That's fun, This yeah. is supposed to be a Father's Day episode. So. But definitely, you know, let's uh, we're going to keep t- I'm going to try when we get more guests coming back on here. I'm going to try and get some guests to talk about those issues more in depth, like some for COVID, maybe someone who's actively working in virology right now, sure. something like that. And then as far as um, everything that's going on with the protests and stuff, that could be an active protester. Anyone from the black community who feels strongly affected, which is I'm assuming anyone. But I really want to get somebody. I, I just love being enlightened by those types of conversations. So. Uh, I did actually hear there was a guy for the Ottawa protests. There was a, a black man who I believe was some kind of a, like a lawyer, and he was offering free counsel for anyone that would potentially get arrested at the protest. Hmm. So I, I actually might try and reach out to that guy because that's badass. Um, so back to my dad, though. Uh, happy Father's Day again because we're filming this a little early, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say it to you on the day of. Yeah, yeah. We actually started recording this and we had a bit of a glitch and the glitch came because of my dad laughed so hard at the question that I asked. I said, we're going to start off easy with a nice, easy question. And then I asked him, who's your favorite son? Not as funny now, but uh, he got a pretty good laugh and it like blew the mic or something. Yeah, blew the mic. Because, uh, we <laughs> so we had to reset. Yeah. yeah. 
Obviously, I don't expect you to, to answer that. We all obviously know well, it's me. You know the answer that you'll get, which is you're all my sons, and I love you all equally, and you all get one-third of the estate when I croak. So, you know, <laughs> That's a perfect answer. <laughs> well, you know, hey, I'm the one who stayed local at least. Yeah. Uh, I should say I have two brothers. Yeah, we have three sons my dad has, and uh, both my brothers do not live anywhere near Ottawa anymore. Not anymore, no. My younger brother lives in Thailand, so we don't see him that often, but at least there's digital chat these days. Thank so God. Thank God, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't get to see your grandson grow up. Well, this is it. I mean, I think about families. I mean, immigration is not new. People have been moving around the planet for hundreds of years. But uh, I can remember when I was a kid growing up, my parents were immigrants, right, from Ireland to, uh, to Canada. Uh, came over in the late 50s. And they would, they would wait. They'd check the mail each day waiting for a letter from relatives. What was going on back home? How was everyone? You know, was grandma feeling okay? All this kind of stuff. Can you imagine if it was bad news? Weeks, weeks it would take for letters to go in just one direction, right? And we would make one long-distance phone call a year at Christmas, I remember. Wow. Get like three minutes. There would be lag on the line. There would be static. And everyone would be trying to talk. And because of the lag. Sounds talk, terrible. Oh, it was horrible. All you'd really get out of there was like, everyone okay? Yeah. Everyone all right? I love you. Merry okay. Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, <laughs> Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, and it's over. And then we get the phone bell and go, oh, my God, <laughs> like it's cost a lot of money yeah. for three minutes. And now you're getting high-quality video HD, and sound. Yeah. It's instantaneous. Feels like you're there. Filters, can, stupid they, filters yeah, you don't need. Devices. They can walk around and show you the house or the outside. Or, and you go, it's just almost like being there. Yeah. So, you know. Such a different time. I can't even imagine if you waited weeks and weeks for a letter and if it was a letter about something important, like maybe someone was really sick, if the letter wasn't super detailed with everything you wanted to know, you'd just be left with more questions. Yeah, you'd be like, fuck, now I got to write a letter saying, like, you didn't mention so and so, and you have to wait for and another you get month. These letters, they'd be these little airmail letters, right? And they'd be so flimsy, the paper. It's almost like onion skin. You know what onion skin is? Yeah. Paper? Yeah. So <laughs> I've cut an onion, Dad. Yeah, yeah. So this is paper <laughs> they used to call onion skin paper. Well, well, those are old airmail. Oh, onion skin paper. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. I thought you were asking me if I know what onion no, skin is. No, no. That the, the the letters were so thin and light, and I remember my grandma's letters from Ireland, and every inch of open space, every little piece of open paper, would have writing on it. Good lord! You know, it's just like you you read this, then you flip it over, then you'd read the margins, sort of thing, and everything, because there wouldn't be a piece of open paper. Yeah. Because there'd be so much to say, and they're trying to fit it all in. And it was and, expensive. And, yeah. 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 And it got better. That reminds me of uh, I think mom actually because. My mom, your wife, she worked in retirement homes for a long time. And yeah. she told me about uh, some of the people that had told her stories of growing up in the Depression. And one story that always stuck with me, she said one woman told her that they would shit, at, like wipe their ass with a single piece of toilet paper and then fold that piece of toilet paper and go in for seconds. <laughs> you're, you're going in narrow with a half piece of toilet paper that's already got shit inside of it. Toilet paper was a lot tougher back then. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Probably gritty sandpaper toilet paper, but man. That's yeah. that's rough either way when you want to. Like, at that point, why not? Even, even my mom used to, because my mom was a girl during the Second World War in Ireland, and everything was rationed, right? So you get like you know a, a half a pound of butter for a week for a family of five or something. Like that. And that was back when they'd use butter for everything. Yeah, right? yeah, and for all the recipes, and yeah. sugar and flour and all those things. And one of the things, <laughs> so my mom was getting older and older. Um, I don't know if, if part of her was going back to when she was younger because we would find pieces of saran wrap 
or wax paper or tin foil that had been used and used and used and used. Like, I mean, younger hmm. people today, it's more a disposable society. So what they grew up with, you know, they, they take a piece of saran wrap, use it once and after yeah. they toss it. Right? And that's why we have a Texas-sized garbage island that, in well, the ocean. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so Several, actually. It's better. But, man, sometimes, especially the tin foil, you'd see it's got little holes in it and everything because it's been bent and bent. Well, it's just ingrained in her at such a yeah, young yeah. age that it just becomes part of your, yeah, part your, of your mentality. Yeah. That's right. That's crazy. Um, well, I guess speaking of, we might as well start talking about you, you know, um, your roots growing up in Brantford. I don't know if was your childhood pretty much uneventful or like, uh, is worth glossing over Brantford's like home of Wayne Gretzky and, and Alexander Graham Bell did the telephone shit there. Right. Or was he just born there? No, he was born in Scotland. Oh, so that's where the, the, what's the significance, you know, from there's an area in Brantford called Tutla Heights, which is, uh, a very large bank overlooking the Grand River. It, it's a very nice part of town, actually. Uh, and he had a summer estate there because he spent a lot of his time in Nova Scotia, I think it was, uh, where he had a place. He spent time at the summer home in Brantford, and then he did a lot of his working time, uh, I think it was in Boston. Somewhere in the States, yeah, I knew Boston. that, yeah. So what it was was Brantford has this claim as the home of the telephone where, where Alexander Bell invented the telephone. Oh. And I think it's actually a fair claim because they found in the home, that's where he did all of his original schematic designs okay. for the first telephone. But Boston says... That's invented, where the call was made from, right? There. Well, I think he built the first prototypes, perhaps, and they did the first... They may have done the first transmissions down in Boston. Yeah, I can't remember. The first one was to Paris, I think, uh, though. No, that's the f- that was claimed as the first long-distance telephone oh. call. It was from Brantford to Paris, and folks, that's not... Paris, France, that's Paris, Ontario. Oh, okay, okay. Which is like, you know... Not as far at all. Six miles away from Brantford <laughs> yeah, or something yeah. like that. So huh. that was officially the first long-distance telephone call. So they each have a, a fair foot in the claim of... So it's arguable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But well, Brantford still has Gretzky. Yeah, always have... And wasn't his dad like a staple of the community, right? Oh, he, st- he still is. Walter. He still is, yeah. yeah he puts yeah. on hockey yeah. tournaments and stuff. I mean, Walter's fairly old now, I think. And yeah, yeah, I'm he must not, be. I haven't kept up with him, but... Uh, but you've met him? No, 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 no. I, what I mean is I haven't kept up with his life at this point and all that. But I, mean, I thought your dad knew him, right? No, it's more like my or my dad may have met him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah, he told me yeah. that, and, and like community style, too, you know. Yeah. yeah. Some fundraiser. Because Wayne used to come back to Brantford at, even after he was famous, right? Yeah. And he had a golf tournament for the blind and stuff like that. Yeah, he seems like a really good t- dude. Tennis tournament, yeah. Yeah, so fun, funniest thing about that, a couple of quick notes used to be when you would drive into Brantford for years and years, they had a sign of his hockey jersey with the 99, you know. So Edmonton, you probably, yeah. Home of Wayne Gretzky. So you'd, you'd always know where he was, where he lived or where he grew up. And they still have Wayne Gretzky Parkway or something, right? Yeah, they still do. Still yeah. Do, yeah. But the funniest thing about Wayne Gretzky is the guy's a hockey player, right? And uh, they Brantford built this uh, um, thing. And to be fair, it has a couple of ice pads. But it's a big thing. It's got a big wave pool or something like that. It's, it's, got, it's the Wayne Gretzky Aquatic Center. <laughs> it just doesn't sound right. right? No, that's hilarious. <laughs> yes. yeah. So I always oh, thought it was a bit weird. But yeah. anyway. Gretzky. Do they have, like, animals there or no? It's just, like, a place for, like, water sports oh, yeah. and stuff? Yeah, no, it's just a water. Because that would be even funnier if yeah, it was, a like, a <laughs> marine land. And, you know, no, yeah, aquatic just, center. Just aquatic center. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, well, that, that kind of covers Brantford, uh, I guess. It doesn't really. To be fair to Brantford, you know, I mean. No, I meant your experience. Like, yeah. well, hey, if you want to keep talking Brantford, I'm sure some well, people will. Well, you know, like from a growing up 
perspective. Like, I mean, we grew up in what would be called a solid, you know, uh, blue-collar household. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, my father, he uh, he was an immigrant, and he worked as a general laborer. And he was in a factory or something, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, he did a few things when he first hit uh, hit town sort of thing, uh, fresh off the boat, as they say, uh, or off the plane. He actually flew over. But um, he ended up working in a place called Muttarts, which made prefabricated houses and also had a lumber yard. Hmm. And he worked there for years and generally worked, worked his way up to be a superintendent of the plant. You know, I mean, he did well for himself. But he had a messed up hand, too. Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah, my father was born with a... Uh, it was from a nerve compression. Um, yeah, like it was kind of locked in. Yeah, he had what was called a claw hand. Yeah, so, <laughs> that sounds way more hardcore. Well, well, but it was pretty effective because his fingers were all turned in. Like, yeah, he couldn't like, like show up the camera. That was his. Yeah, hand. it was like yeah, and locked he in. He could move it like that far. Yeah, but he never never held him back. It was. Oh, right, that's what I mean. It was his right hand actually, so because he's left-handed. Either I don't know if he was naturally left-handed, or if he just or adapted. He became left-handed yeah. because he had to out of necessity. But huh. he, always, he used to swing a hammer. With it was from birth good. then? Yeah, it was uh, It was uh, from birth, from a uh, stricture or, or compression on a nerve that caused it to clench. and um, Just stayed like that for yeah. too long. Exactly so. And Crazy. A, a cruel thing was said to my dad late in life by a doctor. And I'm, I'm talking pretty late in life. Like he was in his 60s, I think, and he was in for something. And he was talking to a surgeon, and the surgeon's, you know, they, they love seeing stuff like this. They go, oh, what do you got going on here kind of a thing? Yeah, it's interesting to he, figure he, it out. Yeah, and he told my dad exactly what had caused this sort of thing. He said, he said, if, if you're born with that today, we'd fix it right away. <laughs> and, and you would have been fine. Could it have been fixed at some point during his life or no? no it would have had to be. Yeah, no, I think sort of in today's technology or the technology when he was in his 60s. The, if the, a newborn had that. If a newborn had that yeah. today, we would fix it right away. Crazy. And uh, you would have. Why would you tell someone that? It, well, that's <laughs> the point, right? So this is our... Doctors are wonderful. They do great things for us. But, man, some of them don't have the bedside touch, right? It feels like a bit of a nana-nana-boo-boo kind of moment. like, Dad didn't need to hear that. Yeah, that's just going to make someone feel shitty. No, there's no good in that. Um, Well, I don't know. Unless there's any other stories of your youth youth that uh, that people would find interesting. Here's where you go. I mean, everyone has a life where you have a lot of things happen. And definitely I had some interesting things go happen to me in the part of growing up. But try to pick one out or pick a couple yeah exactly um well i was more just because i was trying to get to um sort of where your story in intertwines with mine i.e meeting my mom mm-hmm. uh and you guys went to university in guelph yep and you studied yep. bugs right essentially that's the layman's way of putting it yeah well when i met your mom uh i had actually finished my undergraduate so i i was done yeah except I've been accepted into the masters so I had the summer to kill right so instead of going home to Brantford and getting a summer job in Brantford ever I stayed in Guelph and I got a job on campus in a lab oh. uh, the guy that who gave us the the, the jobs uh, his name is Gord Surgeon Professor Gord Surgeon who's retired now a great guy um, he used to hire about 10 or 15 students every summer because he was an entomologist um, and He's very... Um, Which is someone who studies bugs, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, yeah, insects. Yeah. Let's call them insects. Because bugs are actually a very particular part of, like, all the orders of insects. There's one that are what they call true bugs. Oh, I thought bugs were, like, a slang term. It's it's a slang term. It kind of well, is, but yeah. there is a group called the true bugs. Oh, really? Yeah, Weird. Yeah. Okay, anyway, sidetrack. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, so he'd hire 10 or 15 kids, and he had a lot of contracts because he was uh, doing a lot of agricultural entomology. So how do we get rid of the pests that are eating the corn or the weed or all yeah. this kind of stuff? And, uh, and the ones that are bothering, like the cows and the horses and like face flies Problem and insects. Flies and things like this. Problem insects. Yeah. And uh, he'd get contracts with different companies who were either making various pest control formulas or uh, mechanical controls. And, and we would help them gather data. Like uh, the summer I worked there, I would I put on this thing. It looks like a jet pack full of insecticides, uh, insecticide <laughs> of the week kind of thing. And I'd go to dairy farms and I would spray down all the stalls and things like Did that. Did you have like a gas mask on? I had a full suit, man. Oh, you were yeah. like a yeah, I was hazmat kind of? Yeah, and I was fogging some... Nasty stuff, probably, I'd say. Yeah, hopefully yeah. you didn't inhale any of it. I guess well, you... it's, I was all done up. Masks, respirators, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, they had good anyway, gear. So, yeah. so what we do, just so you know, like we would hang strips of paper with little squares on them at various spots around the barns, right? And then what happens is flies land on the paper, and the flies take a little shit on the paper, and they leave a mark. And so <laughs> in a really bad place, you'd get these strips back because we take them back to the, to the lab, and you'd have to count the, the little shit specs, right? <laughs> and that was a measure of how many flies were there. Okay. Right? And sometimes, man, there would be a lot. <laughs> it sounds like a blast of a way yeah, to spend yeah. your summer counting fly shit. You do the fogging and stuff like that, and then you'd hang the strips, and you'd count, and you see how many weeks it would take for them to come back up, so you see how long was the insecticide being effective, right, and things like that. So it's all part of trial. Did this work as like a credit for you, or were you actually getting paid to no, do no, this? No, no, I was done school. I didn't need a credit. This was this, this was getting a paycheck. Oh, all right, that's yeah, not yeah. so bad then. It, and, and that was just one of them. So we did several other types. We did a lot of work within uh, mosquitoes. Uh, that was more your your mom actually, because we would set up mosquito traps all around. That was at a time actually the late seventies when uh, there was a thing called equine encephalitis or eastern equine encephalitis. That's horses, right? Equine. Uh, equine. Actually, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's an encephalitis of horses originally, but it was uh, spread by mosquitoes, and it was if it infected humans, it could get very sick and maybe die. Shit. So it's just like today we have West Nile. Yeah, yeah. You know? So there, every once in a while you get one of these things. Something blows that, up. Yeah, where some insect transmits, and if a human gets it, it's bad. And if it's enough, then suddenly there's grant money to try to figure this thing out. Oh. Figure out how we're going to try to curb it. Yeah. So there's a lot of that 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 summer, and that's what your mom was doing was. Uh, she would we would put out carbon dioxide traps all around you know the town and things like that and capture the mosquitoes and then we'd have to sort through them and identify them because there'd be three or four different species right and oh there's different kinds of mosquitoes oh sure there are there's yeah tons, I guess I, sh I should have expected that <laughs> yeah, yes yeah. to that you you've got uh, 80s triceriatus which is a great big mosquito that, that comes out early in the spring you've got uh, uh, culex pipians which is one of the most common mosquitoes you get sort of all summer long they're sort of medium-sized and nasty little guys and then you've got uh, ones that we never used to have here and maybe we still don't have them here 80s aegypti and things like that that would transmit things like yellow fever and very bad if they get up here see this is why i wanted to ask you about bugs because it blows my mind that you can still pull these scientific names out for three different kinds of mosquitoes like it's not something you're actively studying for like decades and you can still just well but i don't think that's any great brilliance of mine what i think it is is uh all of us, I think, when we're at a certain age, like, uh, I don't know, from like maybe 15 to 25 or 30, what you're going to find when you get into your 50s and 60s and maybe later, those are easy things to remember. Mm. The things that happen to you at that point in your life are like 
well recorded in your brain and you can it's when you're your healthiest probably I, yeah i don't know yeah. uh, it's all new and 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 you're studying it really hard sometimes too yeah that's true in school like you spend hours and hours in your I guess I can relate because there's songs I remember learning on the guitar when I was like 15 that I cannot play for four years and still just play the bass line and the guitar and, you know, so I guess that makes sense. But, but wait, wait till you're, you know, 55 or something and you learn, you learn that and then try to, you know, don't play it till you're 60 and see if you can do it. And I, my guess is no, because you don't know what you had for lunch the day before. (laughs) Yeah, I guess, but you're still pulling these out. So isn't that kind of counter to that? I mean, is stuff from when you're young is, is better encoded and more res- uh, more resilient memories than the memories you make when you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s. Oh, okay. You so you're saying if I was to write a song things. right now. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Huh. Okay, well, th- yeah, I, I still think it's a really... I'll say that I don't know some stuff. I do know some stuff. No, for sure. <laughs> I, well, the main reason that I think uh, you've always kind of inspired me to try to learn more is because I feel like you're the closest person I've ever met to like a human encyclopedia. Because not only do you know a lot of stuff, but you know a wide range of stuff. And sometimes you surprise me. You have a few weak spots. I'd say probably like sports and music are probably like your your low points. Because I know you're just someone who doesn't like music that much, which I find really weird. And, and yet, actually, I agree with you on the sports. Not a strong sports guy. Never been inv- involved in a lot of sports or cared to watch. Sports. No, me neither. Except for tennis. I really like watching tennis. And I got quite into tennis there for a while. And I knew enough hockey because dad yeah, yeah. watched hockey. So yeah. in order to have a conversation with my dad. Yeah. I learned I, a lot about hockey when I was a kid just yeah, to talk to him just too. To yeah. Talk to him that's, yeah. Yeah. But, um, okay. So, well, I mean, I still think that's a really weird uh, romance story. Like, yeah, we were collecting mosquitoes together. That sounds like a terrible well, time. that's just how we met. I mean, the romance was I saw her and I thought, ooh. <laughs> okay. <you know? laughs> I don't need to know the rest of that story. We know it results in me and my brothers, yeah, so that's right, yeah. we'll just skip past that. <laughs> um, I, I actually did write down, though, because I thought this would be an interesting question, since you guys were s- clearly interested in insects and arachnids and all that. Do you have a favorite invertebrate and why? Oh, that's an interesting question. Like, I assume you know cool things about their armor or their, like, uh, adaptive sort of evolutionary, you know. I've learned a lot of interesting things just on nature shows, but you really we're in the thick of it when it comes to studying bugs i mean it, the better question for me was do i have a favorite protozoan because you were really about like microbial level stuff yeah, right I mean, that was my master's right parasitology right well parasitology was the field so the study of parasites and i say that not to insult your audience but because so often when people used to ask me what i did and i said well i i studied parasitology they'd say oh parapsychology that's so cool oh you know? <laughs> I had that more than once. They, like, yeah. I think I, I think, saw my grandma a couple yeah, nights ago. Right, yeah. She died eight years ago. So I say parasites. Yeah, yeah. Parasites. No, that's smart. Yeah, but, but the particular parasite that I worked on for my master's was a protozoan parasite. So a protozoan is a one-celled organism. Like an amoeba or something? An amoeba is a protozoan. That's right. That's the only one I know. One cell. <laughs> well, you got red blood cells, white blood cells. Oh. Those are all one cell things. Now, they're not individual organisms because they can't live on their own. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, uh, but yeah, there's a, an amoeba. Oh, paramecium? Is that another one? I want to say yes. <laughs> I Boy, pulled yeah, a science a word out of my yeah, ass. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. It, yeah. That's paramecium would be one. Uh, amoeba. There's, 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 there's tons of them, right? Yeah. Nerd points. Yeah, yeah. 
the E. coli. There you go. All bacteria are. are He's a less popular one. Yeah, Yeah. we'll close the bacteria. (laughs) No one really wants to hang out with him. But the one that I worked on anyway was what's called a trypanosome, or the the genus is Trypanosoma. So a trypanosome. Actually, that ties into my my wall gift. Yeah, we'll we'll find out. Well, I mean, you could tell us now if it ties in. It doesn't really matter when you present it. Well, it does. It ties in directly. Yeah, yeah. So show it. So my dad brought something to put on the wall like we normally ask of the guests. Probably won't show on. Oh, I've seen this before. This is the one you. I have one in my office, but this is another one I have just for you. So I don't know if that will show or not. But this is you just like. (laughs) Peeking out? No, this is because this is the one you discovered, right? And you got to name. That's right. This is the one that. So this is you just dropping your big science dick on the table. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. So so trypanosomes are are very interesting because. in Africa, they are the organism that causes sleeping sickness, which most people have heard of. I have not. You have not heard of sleeping, sleeping sickness? sickness? Yeah. So yeah. you get sick when you go to bed? Well, no. It's, it's or you a, can't sleep. It, it's a disease as it progresses. You get a lethargy and you're kind of, you know, oh, like that. Shit. Um, it, it's, uh, it goes around in the bloodstream, right? And it ha- it's passed by an insect vector, a tsetse fly. You ever heard of tsetse fly? Nope. No, Sounds like you're saying sexy fly. Nope. From Sets- here. Setsy fly. Setsy, okay. Yeah. And uh, it, it would it would bite and, and, and spread the uh, uh, the parasite from uh, you know from it being the what's called the vector. So the whoever has it first, from, right? Yeah, it would takes it to the host to the host to the host, right? Yeah, so you're infected, it bites you, it gets it it goes through certain life cycle inside the vector often. And then the vector bites the next person and injects it into the bloodstream of the next person. Now they have the disease. And was there a cure for it or no? Well, it's a, it's a horrible disease. Um, and uh, they have more effective treatments for it today, especially if they catch it early, right? It, when it's in your general bloodstream, you, know, you can take a drug, at least you used to be able to, and it would wipe it out and bingo, you're cured, right? Cool. But in the old days, and this is in Africa, right? Sub-Saharan Africa for the sleeping sickness one. Um, people would get it, and uh, there was no good medical treatments nearby, so you yeah. suffer. And eventually what this organism does is it crosses what's known as the blood-brain barrier. Uh-oh. It gets into the brain. And that's very difficult to treat because at the time uh, when, when it going back a ways, the only way you get it, that brain get across the blood-brain barrier is with heavy metal drugs with antimony and arsenic and things like that. And so one of these things where the cure is almost as bad as the disease so a very nasty disease, and, and uh, anyway, mine is not that, though. So these trypanosomes, I gave you, like, the worst-case kind of trypanosome. From the same family. Yeah, yeah, same okay. genus. Causes this uh, disease in humans. Well, they're in frogs, they're in bats, they're in cats, they're, you know, they're, they're in all. So this particular one is from the blood of a tree frog that we have here in Canada, in Ontario, called Hyla Versicolor. You'll hear them uh, sort of in the wet July night or even uh, yeah I think you got to be croaking you'll hear them bleeding kind of this trill that they do because they hmm. they go up into the trees and they'll they'll sting I didn't know we had tree frogs in Canada I always yeah. thought it was like a South American thing no no we have them here high Versco. they got these little sticky pad kind of yeah they're cool things. when you see them in the pet yeah, store yeah, and stuff have, yeah this is the one we have here it's called the common gray tree toad actually they call it but, but it's, it's actually a frog. It's a frog. It's a Why do they do frog. shit like that? I don't know. You yeah. want to slap that scientist yeah. who fucking named it a toad? And like, Steve, yeah. it's a frog. He's like, yeah. guys, it's going to be hilarious. Yeah, and their coloration <laughs> can, can go from gray to, to green. But anyway, so that's the one I was studying. And uh, 
you know, so I would, I would go out on hot summer nights, wet summer nights and catch a bunch of these guys and bring them back. And I would uh, take a little bit of blood from them and we'd look at the smear and sort of see is it infected or not, what's it infected with. Because there's not only this trypanosome, there's other trypanosomes as well. And they have different morphologies, so they don't all look the same, right? And uh, anyway, this particular one, when I found it and we tried to identify it, we couldn't identify it. We couldn't find any previous examples of it, right? So the way you, you identify it, you know, you do a lot of measurements of, you know, uh, the general body shape and length and how the, this thing called the flagellum. I remember that word from science class. Yeah, yeah. It's like the tail, right? Right. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, or, or it, it's a, a tail and then you get this undulating membrane, which is the flagellum kind of running along the thing. Yeah, that thing looks pretty gnarly, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to believe, like, that's just one cell. And you see that's the nucleus, the big dot there. And this other smaller dot's called the kinetoplast. That's where the flagellum ends. You know what it looks like? It looks like a fishing lure. It even yeah. has a little hook at the end. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a neat little guy. So, okay, when, you, when you're studying and you're like, guys, I can't identify this. Is that like a mad, like, nerd boner moment at that point where you're just like, um, I found a new one. It was Well, it was exciting insofar as that we didn't know what it was, but then you had to prove it was new. Oh. So that's where you had to do all these detailed Back it all measurements. Up. Yeah. And you've got to go through all the scientific literature looking at everyone that's been found in frogs, any kind of frog in the world, like, you know, is this it, you know? And then I would do uh, trials too uh, called host specificity trials. So another thing I did was I would go out in the, the swamps and I would collect masses of eggs from different species of frogs, right? Oh. Leopard frogs, tree frogs, the spring peepers. You just grab them and take them? Cricket frogs, yeah. Was, the mom uh, comes back like, what the fuck? My mom wasn't there anyway. But, but, yeah, I would take them back to the lab, huh. and then I, I had all these different pans, and I would hatch them out into tadpoles and then take them through to their adult stage. Um, and the reason I did that, rather than just collecting adults, was because I needed to have a host that was clean, right? Mm. It didn't have any Picked up something else. Yeah, yeah. It had to be a clean host. Interesting. And then I would take small samples of this, and I would inoculate it into them. Yeah, and then sucks later to be those frogs. Take, then I would take blood samples from them to see did the infection take or not? So and so, did it go into a leopard frog, a cricket frog, a spring peeper, a wood frog? A, yeah, you know all the different types of frogs that we have, um, and or not. And actually, this one is extremely host specific. Really, it really only went into hyla frogs of the genus hyla. So tree frogs only. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. So crazy. No so did you uh, like work on that all by yourself, or are you with like a team? And then do you guys fight over who gets to name it? No, no, this is me. So when you do your research for your your PhD or your master's or whatever, you have your own project. Oh, it's like your right? thesis yeah, kind of right, thing. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's my thesis. Now, what you do have is you have a supervisor, right, who's usually the, the professor who's... Um, your mentor, kind of? Yeah, well, he's the one. It's his lab space he's giving you, and he helps you sketch out your project and give you advice and guidance and stuff like that. And for that, he gets to put his name on all your papers. <laughs> that's you get to be lead author but he gets beyond there too you know fair is fair Did you like name this after him or something i named this after another uh parasitologist not my supervisor because he's on the paper you would never name it after yourself you don't do, it's it'd like be bad, redundant it's kind like of bad form yeah you, know, you just don't do that right <laughs> yeah so you honor someone else often and who we honored was a a uh, quite famous Canadian parasitologist called Roy C. Anderson. Okay. And he was, uh, he was a worm guy, really. He wasn't a, pr uh, a protozoan parasitologist. He was more into nematodes. That was his thing, I think. Hmm. But he's very well known. Uh, he's, he's passed, so he's, 
been gone for a while now, but I named it after Dr. Anderson, who was a, uh, always a very nice guy to me. And uh, yeah, it's new to science. That's my little claim to fame. I can be dead and gone, but this will stand. Right? If somebody so, looks this parasite yeah, so up, though. What I brought you was I brought you this picture for to put on your wall. Yeah, I think you should show the camera just because it looked. Did, did oh, did you already? Camera. Okay. Because it then, looks really cool. And then for you, I brought these, which are my four published papers in the Canadian Journal of Zoology. Oh, damn. Right? And it takes you sort of basically through a lot of what I discovered with this animal. So it's, it's the life cycle. It's, uh, you know, trials I did in, uh, in leeches to see could leeches put, take it from frogs. Do you have more or, copies of these, though? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't want to, like, but I gave, have the only ones. You. Well, I don't have a lot of copies. These are, you know. Oh, yeah, I'll take care of them. Yeah, this is for when I'm dead and gone. And you're talking to your grandchildren. You say, you want to know something about your great-grandpa and what he did? I'd probably just show them this podcast, if I'm being honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it would be from the horse's mouth, you know what I mean? Um, Well, that's pretty cool. Um, You never really answered what was your favorite invertebrate, uh, invertebrate, though. Well, that's because I said you should ask what's your favorite protozoan. Okay, so, yeah, okay, fair enough. That was a good deflection. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, well, let's speed up a little further in your life uh, and at least touch on something that probably people from this area would be familiar with, which was, I think one company changed into the other, right? But BNR, Bell Northern Research, and then eventually Nortel, was that like? Yeah, when, so when, I, when we came to Ottawa, we came to work for the National Research Council, right? Which you ended your, just yeah, now, you there. came full circle, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. So when I, I finished this master's, then I went to London, to Western Ontario, and, and, uh, did a second master's there in library science. Which I always wondered what the hell that even means, library science. Uh, well, it's when you become a librarian, you have a set of skills, just like if you become a nurse like Kelly or anything else, you learn a set of skills that allows you to do a certain job, profession. But haven't libraries changed so much? Well, all professions change with it. Yeah, I guess. But libraries went from like the Dewey Decimal System or whatever, right, to... Uh, like now you just type in whatever you're looking for I on still a computer. Use a Dewey Decibel system in most public libraries. Oh really? Yeah. I haven't been to a library in a really yeah. long time. <laughs> yeah. Or, or if you go to universities, it's the Library of Congress classification system that you use. So there's different classification systems. But you're right. I mean, in fact, when I was in library school, it was kind of a pivotal time because computer-based automation of these types of databases was really starting to go. And yeah. There was a lot of very active development. Uh, Everything changed yeah. over a short amount of time, and, yeah. And then certainly in my lifetime then, I mean, when I, so when I graduated, I was offered a job at the National Research Council in what was called the Canada Institute for Scientific and Technical Information, or CISTI. Right? Yeah, I remember that acronym. Right. And it, it's sort of, even at the time, was sort of Canada's National Science Library. Because that's why I went to library school, because when I finished my first master's, you know, at that point I was married, right? We, we'd gotten married, and your mom wanted to know when we could have kids. Typical woman. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm so joking. But, but she wanted to, (laughs) she wanted to be a mother. She wanted to have children and she wanted to know when could we have kids. And she and I both being eldest children were conservative by nature. And so I said, well, we want some security, financial security and all that before we start having kids. Um, and so we did what good plan. We saw it's the, yeah, the best timeline for that to happen. So it was to me get my, my PhD, which was going to be four years cause I was doing live animal experiments and then I'd compete for a postdoctoral fellowship somewhere. And those are usually, uh, two years that you would do a postdoc. 
then you would compete for an opening as a junior professor somewhere in, in you know, some university. And uh, when you could say you had real security is when you have tenure, right? You hear yeah, professor has tenure. Yeah, I've heard tenure, that term, right? yeah. So when you have tenure, you're kind of locked in and, and you know, you're good to go as long as you continue to perform. But to get tenure, you've got to do well um, with getting research grant money. You've got to do well publishing. You have to have an active uh, graduate student program of your own students that you're getting degrees. And you have to do really well at teaching, wow. right? And if you fail in any of those areas, it can, it can make it tricky, right? And if you don't hit on all cylinders, you won't, you won't necessarily get tenure. Yeah. Anyway, so we did a best-case timeline. I was going to be like 35 or something like that before. If everything went swimmingly, this is where it yeah. would be. And uh, mom kind of said, well, that's too long. I don't want to wait till I'm in my mid to late 30s to have kids. Yeah, especially if you want multiple kids. Yeah, kind exactly. of. Yeah, I understand so that. So she said, what else can you do? <laughs> <laughs> and then career shift. Well, an interesting thing was happening was that there was a woman that I knew uh, who was exactly in my shoes. She was doing a uh, master's in parasitology. She was a year ahead of me, though. So we were having lunch one day, and she was getting near the end of her program. I said, so, like, what are you doing? Are you, you going to do a doctorate somewhere, or where are you going next kind of thing? And she said, I'm going to University of Western Ontario because I'm going to be a librarian. I'm going to get another master's. Hmm. I said, really? I, and it was interesting to me because... In this period of time, late 70s, early, it wasn't a great time for jobs in universities and science. So while you, it's like any time, you get the degree, doesn't mean you're going to get a job, yeah. right? So I said, why are you doing that? And she said, because there's a crying need for librarians with science backgrounds. Uh, if you think about all the research libraries in the world and things like that, but most librarians tend to be uh, history, uh, at the time anyway, a lot of history or English majors and things like that. So at the University of Guelph, the McLaughlin Library, second floor science, if I went there and went up to librarians and said, look, you know, I'm looking for some research studies on blood uh, triple mastigotes. They wouldn't really and be able to help you in a big know, way. Yeah. They, they look at me and go, like, it's, you're talking Swahili, right? And, uh, and that's not, not a slight on them. These are very intelligent people. And, and a good librarian will tell you, even if they don't know the topic material inside out, they'll still help you. Yeah. But it's a lot easier if you have some context from your own knowledge base, right, your innate knowledge base. And so research libraries like to hire people who have double masters, one in library science and one in some discipline, math, science, genetics, whatever it is, right? And at SISTE, it was, that was like the place in the country where this happened the most. So anyway, I ended up going to work there. I worked there for about eight years, I, and I got into some uh, another interesting time as we started to get away from um, well, I guess it was still mostly published materials at the time, but we're getting a lot of bibliographic database development, index databases, where now you can do online searching and find that this paper was published in this hmm. volume, this page. Da, da, da. Was that like the, the early the 90s or something? Uh, no, that was... Uh, Late 80s? That would be... Oh, early 80s. Oh. Early to mid 80s, yeah, that that was going on. Uh, and so I ended up working in a place called Canole, the Canadian Online Inquiry, because SISTI was doing some of these first scientific bibliographic databases and I ended up doing technical writing describing the new databases that we would get and how to search them and all that kind of stuff. Even did a little bit of, uh, of teaching uh, other librarians how to do it like I would go around to universities and hmm. like that. But then um, working for the government I had an impediment in that I didn't speak French. Oh. Uh, yeah and I tried going to night classes but you know 
you said some nice things about me earlier, but one of the things that I do not do well is I do not do foreign languages well. Yeah, well, it's I would think a lot easier when you start learning them at a young age. Uh, some people are obviously just good at languages, but... Well, a lot of people, I think, were willing to work a lot harder at learning French than I was willing to do. Mm. I gave it a go, and after a while... Well, and you didn't grow up around this area where it would have been a lot more prevalent in your life if you had grown up in Ottawa because we're so close to Quebec here, but... Because in my childhood, like, even though I don't really speak good, fluent French, it's always been a present sort of factor in my life is French always been close, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, so, but how does that relate to you ending up at Nortel? Because well, Nortel... So, so, so I saw at some point, I said to your mom, I said, you know, this French is, it, lack of French is going to hold me back. Isn't, I'm not going to be able to progress into management, basically, because you had to be bilingual for management jobs because yeah. you're supervising people and they can work in their native... Yeah, of course. Language, yeah. Right? Um, so I started looking outside of the government, and that's how I ended up eventually. I, I went for interviews at several places, but I ended up going to Bell Northern Research, which was the R&D arm of Northern Telecom, it was called at the time. Oh. So, so they were already the same groups, kind yeah, of. Yeah, basically, but one was pure R&D. And when you went to work at Bell Northern, it's like you're working on a university campus, you know, guys in sandals and shorts and T-shirts <laughs> and stuff. Kind of like lax. You know, which was, I had just come from eight years of government where I wore a tie and a jacket to work. It must have been kind of nice, yeah. It, it was. It was a, a real change. But it was a real challenge, too, because I, I was doing um, technical information development. So it's like a technical writer and I was, I was writing for what was called a circuit board design system and uh, in a group that also did silicon design so if that sounded a little foreign to you it was just as foreign to me because I, yeah my forte was biology and suddenly now it was all electricity and you know ohms and volts yeah and all this kind of stuff and kind of a, di a different scientific yeah, discipline so I, so I went back to Algonquin at nights and took courses Jesus basic electricity and electronics fiber optics and things like that and uh, it took me took me six months, I'd say, to start feeling comfortable and to feel like I actually knew what I was writing about. So I was writing for six months and really not understanding the material. That's a really good example, though, of uh, what more people should try to do, which is being open to change. Because I remember growing up, because, you know, when you were at Nortel is sort of when my memories, that's where yeah, I start remembering. I don't know how old I would have been then. When did you go there? I started uh, in October of 1990. Yeah, so I was five years old. So exactly, all through the 90s, that was your job. But I, even at that age, I remember thinking, like, why did they study bugs then? And and now you're telling me, you know, uh, the library science stuff ultimately was kind of phased out of what you needed to do, at least for this company. Yeah. So yeah. I just think that's it's kind of refreshing when you're somebody and you're like, oh, where's my life going? You know, I think a lot of people have that. And it's nice to see someone else who's doing well at this stage in your life to see that you had a lot of zigs and zags and all over the place, but you kept putting in the work and you kept being open to that change and being open to learning more. And, and I don't know, that's interesting that. Well, I, and I think that's true of a lot of people and, and to a young person, I would say, I mean, study what you like and, and learn what you like and all that. And, and you meet certain people who have innate skills, you know, like with music, with art, just naturally you know, inclined, just, just, that's their thing. That's their passion, and and they're good at it. You know, mm. so you just know this person, whatever they do, this is going to be their thing, right? And then you've got other people who may not have like an innate talent, but they say, I want to be this, and they ha they still have the passion. I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a this, or a forester. I want to, you know, whatever. Yeah, it whatever is. it is. And they go for it, right? And then you have people like me, and I think there's a lot of people like me 
who aren't sure what they are. I went off to university. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I just knew I was going to university. I wasn't even sure, like, should I go science? Should I go something else? But I ended up going into science. And that's fine. I really enjoyed it. But uh, a lot of people end up, but even as I was getting near the end, I honestly think one of the reasons I went for a master's was I didn't see any job prospects, and I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like, my undergraduate was in fisheries and wildlife biology. It's all over the place, yeah. Well, it's fisheries and wildlife biology. Well, it's, it's related, but I mean, compared to where you ended up, yeah. it's all over the place. Yeah. Like, Well, that's right. But but funny things will happen. Like, So I go to Bell Northern Research, and I'm working you know, as an information developer, they called it, but technical writer. And then I get a call out of the blue one day, and it's from the research library of Northern – or no, it's Bell Northern uh, Research Library – and they said, hey, you know, like, we've heard that you're, you've got a degree in librarianship. And I said, yeah, it's true. Like, they, I haven't been using it, but. And they said, well, <laughs> we have an open position for a manager. Would you come and interview for it? So I said, sure. So I did, and I got the job. Hmm. So now all of a sudden, I'm back in a library environment. Nice. It's a research library at, Nor- at Bell Northern, and eventually Bell Northern and Northern Telecom all collapsed into one thing called Nortel. Yeah. But I, I'm sure it didn't hurt to have all that uh, acquired electricity or electricity oh, knowledge, no. and you it know that was, was still the thing, right? Yeah, it all kind of plays into their, the same. That was their business. But then, so now, I'm, but then eventually another transition happened where, um, and I helped engineer this a little bit at, at uh, Nortel. The library we're we're exiting the era of printed materials, especially research materials. Everything was going into online electronics. So we helped make that shift. But as a result, the library itself really shrunk down. Hmm. A big part of the old libraries was management. Just storage. And yeah. yeah. All that kind of stuff. And that was all gone. And now researchers could start accessing stuff on their desktops. They didn't even have to come to a physical library anymore. Right? So That's pretty huge. Yeah. So one thing led to another. And so I had an opportunity to move somewhere else in the company, which I did, which was into human resources, but not as an HR person yeah. uh, per se because I had no skills there, but as on the research side of it looking at the databases that could uh, could be used in human resources area because there's a lot of skills databases, development databases. So again, you kind of shifted though. I shifted and I ended up working uh, on a project to build a jobs database inside the company, right? Which we worked with a company called monster.com. Yeah, I remember which, Monster. Yeah, yeah, they were huge. Yeah, they were big. They were in the States and everything. Yeah, you used really to travel a bunch yeah, too. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And uh, so I did that and then, then that led me once I was in that sort of area, when I finished doing that, I got an opportunity to work with this system called SAP, which is uh, what's called an ERP, an Enterprise Resource Planning Software, which is software that runs every aspect of your business, the finances, the you know the materials management, your HR, like it's all one big huge thing. Is like that smart to do? Because then if that software crashes, you're fucked. Uh, yeah, although it's so big that w- that you'd hardly ever get a crash that would bring everything down. It's more like your HR piece might fail for a bit or whatever. But mm. but yeah, it's it's a reasonable question because ERPs, all your eggs do are, are kind of in. That's what I was thinking when you event. described it. Yeah, but you get a lot of wins from that, right? Too like. Um, well, it's mainlining everything. It's kind of nice. Well, just it, for it's all the same interface. Yeah, it's all the same uh, data set. The back-end data all works together because it's all from one database kind of a thing, right? Uh, you've got uh, your reporting environment. Reports are huge in business, all one universe of reporting, uh, as opposed to the other way of approaching business, which is 
you've got your HR system you buy from this vendor, you've got your finance system you buy from that vendor, your, your training logistics stuff, all from different vendors. But then you find you need to exchange information. Mm-hmm. So now you've got to hire a whole crew of guys. Plus, if something them. happens to any one of those respective companies. Or one just, they just don't want to handshake. Their data sets yeah. are set up differently. So you've got guys writing stuff to translate this data into that format. That does seem like kind of a nightmare. Yeah, and, and, and even for your internal people. So you've got somebody who's working as an HR administrator, and she learns this system. Now she, she transfers to finance. Well, she's got to learn a whole new interface. Yeah, whole, that's true. So this is the, the two kind of approaches. And... Anyway, SAP was like, and probably still is, the biggest ERP in the world. It's German uh, originally, and um, there are competitors to it, but but it's really, even today, it's like huge. It's really so, because most people in Ottawa know. are familiar with Nortel to some degree, I assume, it, was it like a cross-country thing, though? Did they have other Nortels in other cities, or was it just Ottawa-based? Oh, my God, they were around They're, the world. Okay, oh, okay. They were like 72 countries or something like that. Okay, so then the question I want to know is, like, what happened? Because everybody knows Nortel kind of imploded. And I remember it, there was a trickle effect because as a kid, I remember having I, – I mentioned this to you the other day. I had friends who had parents who also worked at Nortel, and I remember a lot of my friends' parents getting fired and me being afraid that that would happen to you, but you kept making the cut and sort of persevering. So um, what's the story behind there? Like, I mean, maybe this is already in the news. I just don't personally know what happened. Like, was it a bunch of people at the top, like, stealing money or something like that? Or was it just... So I don't know that I'm the person to... Even if you're not telling it here, you know. That's that's all I can do because it's extremely complex. Uh, I don't even think all the story's really out. Hmm. And then there's perspectives of what you would hear. But some shady shit, though? I, I do think bailouts and I, shit. I think some of the leadership made some bad decisions about, like, I don't know a lot about accounting, but there's a, a thing called generally accepted accounting practice, GAAP, right? And they love I, those acronyms. Yeah, well, so <laughs> you'd think that accounting is like one set of rules that everybody follows, right? But you've got that generally accepted mm. accounting. Yeah, that seems weird. We're using math. <laughs> like well, should be. well, it's it's just like there's there's some flexible areas. Let's call it right. Like okay. You're doing sales. Well, let's we'll put the, these sales figures. We'll move this part of the sales into this quarter, but we'll push these sales out to there. Uh, and it might be because well, we that's when we're going to deliver or that. But we can. There's some movement that happens there that sometimes shouldn't. Sounds happen. like shadiness. Yeah, a little, <laughs> a little bit of shadiness, and um, you have to be careful with that. But. But the story of Nortel, it's not that simple, right? Like what happened was uh, in the year 2000 was like sort of the peak of the boom. Nortel was just like doing super great. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had made what John Roth, who was one of the CEOs, uh, had said was, you know, the hard right-hand turn. Um, John Roth, he was an interesting guy. He used to uh, work on, on antique cars, right, restoring cars. Okay. And... The story that I heard was that he was working on this this Jaguar or something like that, and it had a wood-lined glove box, right, somewhere. And the one that in his model was all rotted away, and he needed to get an, another one. But this was like a X-year-old car. Yeah, not easy to find. He goes, how the heck am I going to? But but he, he did something. He went on the Internet, which was kind of pretty early days of the Internet then there, you know, the like the early 90s, uh, mid-90s kind of thing. But he found like a 
chat group or whatever, and he said, "Hey, you know, guys, I'm looking for it." Yeah, nowadays you could probably find it pretty nowadays easy. You can yeah, go on, Amazon, go on eBay or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. But back then it was like some chat group or whatever, and he said, "Look, I'm looking for this," and it was some auto group or whatever. And some guy says, "Oh, you know, I here I am. I'm in the UK and I've got Northern an extra. England. I've got one of those out in the out in the back. I can yeah. get that for you." And so John Roth sourced this thing that he thought was going to be inconceivably hard to find if he was could ever find exactly what he needed. And that got him thinking just generally about the internet and where it was going hmm. and all that. And it was it was this whole switch that was happening. And, and anyway, making this hard right turn. I forget even now, it, it's to a particular type of technology. But he made the company make this change in direction, which was exactly the right thing to do at exactly the right time. And I think he was a successful CEO that way. He really did, did good. So, yeah, that sounds like the opposite of what yeah, I was yeah, asking but this you. Is, yeah. But no, it's the timing there, right? Because 2000, the you said, right? It was mid-90s. And then so the, all the way through the end part of the 90s was pretty good. Okay. You always had these ways. There was always some kind of layoffs going on at Nortel. But it was sort of like. Uh, well, they sent you to like the Winter Olympics at one time, I remember. Well, that was Monster. Oh, that was Monster. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Two thousand and four, maybe. Two, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Salt, Salt Lake Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty cool. But uh, no, with Nortel, there were always layoffs because it was like the Jack Welch from GE School of Management, right? Like every year, you should get rid of the bottom ten percent. Mm. Just identify the bottom ten percent of performers. The underperformers. Say, yeah. You're gone. You're just not good enough. You suck, Jenny, yeah, or that, that, <laughs> whoever it is. Right? So. With, with Nortel, it was more like there were so many different technologies going on, and this is a great technology right now. It's booming, great, higher, higher, higher. This technology here, it's kind of mature. It's phasing out, and one day they go, we're pulling the plug. And so you 500 engineers or whatever, you've got like 30 days to find a, another job inside of Nortel, or you're gone. Damn. You know? So you'd always be getting that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. But that was just regular business. But in, in sort of like about November of 2000, the Internet bubble popped. Yeah. these first internet wave of companies that had been just growing, 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 growing without any... Like Yahoo? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. So, so many different... So many, yeah. They, it just went pop, and there's this big collapse, and sort of everybody's running for cover all of a sudden, right? And that happened in telecom as well. Hmm. And that, that hurt us, but then we had this, like, slow death because from 2000 on, it was just series of continual layoffs. And these are the things that it was it's gonna be great for morale. No, very tough. <laughs> well, I was being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very tough to live through, you know, because I'm sitting here, I'm working. You always feel like there's somebody like. Yeah, I'm in HR working on HR systems. So I'm not part of the main part of the business, right? I'm part of the support part of the business, mm. administrative services. But, you know, it was as the business shrinks, then they lay off in administration as well. So I think I. I Did you have to fire a bunch of people? I didn't have to fire a bunch of people, no. Have you ever had to fire someone? I've had to let people go, yeah, but not too often. <laughs> I love how it shifts the terminology. <laughs> like you have to fire someone or like well, let people go. Yeah. I say it like that, I think you myself. Send them on a new path. When I think of firing, <laughs> I think it's because somebody wasn't doing their job well or there's a reason to fire them. Letting them go Fair enough, yeah. You know it what? sounds very vicious. Yeah, letting them go to me is this is nothing about you. Yeah. This is the business is letting you down. And we just can't afford you anymore, so we have to let you go. Hmm. And and one thing I'll say about Nortel for a long, long time, people who are being let go, man, they were getting great handshakes, right? I mean, years worth of salary and you know, all this kind of stuff. And they had oh, so they had lots of compensation, elderly. sort of. But you know what's funny about about layoffs? Um, 
And it struck me at the time because what they did with the first waves of layoffs was they did do the bottom tens and stuff. They let their weakest players go. They got great handshakes. And most of them, the, the, the general economy was still good enough, they'd walk into other jobs. So they got a year's worth of salary, and two weeks later, they're working someplace else. And so they did all right. Yeah. Money. They did great. And that's the bottom <laughs> ten. So you kept your best people to the very, very end. And then they got. And at the very, very end, they were in bankruptcy protection. Not only you were getting zero handshake, and you weren't even getting severance pay because in bankruptcy protection, companies don't have to pay severance. That's messed up. It's, it is messed up. And, and so the worst workers got yeah, the best and, deal. And in fact, you're trying to get just what they owe you in pension, right? Like yeah. Your pension is supposed to go someplace else, but pension funds, companies tend to lag topping them up. And the next thing you know, you get let go. And uh, they, you'd say, okay, we owe you 150000 in pension, but we don't have it. So we'll give you eighty. And you go, whoa, 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 that's no good. That's like 50% of what you owe me or whatever. And This makes me think of that movie, um, Fun with Dick and Jane, with uh, Jim Carrey yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. who's the David Duchovny's ex-wife, Taya Leone. And uh, Alec that's, Baldwin that, is the douchebag boss. That's the remake. It, yeah, that's the remake. That's the one I saw. I remember the original. But, well, the remake was like a company like this, and the rich guys took all the money and ran kind of thing, yeah. and then they had to start like robbing Starbucks and stuff just yeah. to... So, there's some that. So, so at Nortel, in my mind, you, so you had your best people at the end, your best people. And they, they tried were, super they hard. Getting, they were getting zip compared to the low performers who did great getting out early. You know, Part of that's just happenstance, though, because yeah, nobody knew like that the ship the was going down back then. You know, well, there were indicators, but but this is so when you get into like uh, yeah but if there's a leak in the boat like a little bit of water that's a lot different than when the boat's like half capsized you know what i mean people well, react very differently the thing too is that like the captain of the boat keep telling you that everything's okay well that's the wrong part yeah well, yeah and, and we would get those messages internally they'd say look things are a little rocky right now but we see great things on the horizon we've got all this stuff happening we just so trimmed some fat raw raw, <laughs> raw you know like we're, we're good and and you want to believe it right because you want this place to succeed yeah you want to Especially if you invested a bunch of time there already. Well, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So anyway, but but things weren't okay, and things were getting worse year after year, and layout layoff round after layoff round. And when did they completely like the end? Uh, two thousand nine. Oh uh, wow, that long. I thought it was much earlier. Yeah, two thousand nine was when I left, and and I say left, I wasn't laid off, right? I was. Uh, I had survived like about eight rounds of layoffs from two thousand. How are you not just like living? anxiety of there getting was, fired all the time there was a lot of anxiety yeah it really was um but i said it to your mom i just i came home from work one day and i just said look this is gonna die it's gonna get worse before it gets well, any better they, yeah. were, they were in official bankruptcy protection i said they're not coming out like this my feeling was it was gonna die so the question was how long would it take to die you know, because I still had my job there. Nobody said anything about me leaving. They liked what I was doing. You still thought you were going to get a pension and all that at that point? Well, yeah. I, I didn't know that my pension was on the was line. Any jeopardy yeah. necessarily. It's a separate fund, right? I didn't know that it wasn't being topped up right to the top. So, mm. But um, so I said, I think I need to, f to start looking for another job because what I didn't want to have happen was because what was happening to people was it'd be Friday at like 3 o'clock. And your the rug ripped out from come, under you. Come and tap you on the shoulder and say, look, I'm sorry to tell you it's your last day. So at the end of today, you like clean out your desk and you're gone. Surprised they never had anybody go postal. Oh, I'm. You know what I, I mean? would be surprised there were, weren't a few. But anyway. Well, nothing that made the news. I mean, yeah, like. But, but this is what I'm seeing, right? You, and you see like Gary's gone on Friday. He's just, Jesus, he's that's so depressing. Monday, right? 
And then you got to call Gary on the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Gary has no money. Gary has mortgage. Has kids. Gary's got three kids or whatever, right? So um, I said to mom, I said, look, I don't want to wait for this to happen. So I better start looking. So I did start looking. And I looked at several places. But one of the places was NRC, which I used to work at. Mm -hmm. But now it was different. And what it was was I was talking to one because I had stayed in touch with several people in NRC, even though I was 18 years at Nortel, right? That's crazy. Um, Yeah. So I was talking with one of them. And she said, well, what have you been doing? And I, I told her I was working with SAP on HR. And she said, you know, we use SAP here. Yeah, and that's one good thing about it being the most popular that. one. Yeah, Yeah. so so she said, why don't you send uh, an email? And she gave me the name of the VP of HR. So mm-hmm. I sent a cold email to the VP of HR, said, hi, like my name is Brian Riley. You don't know me, but I used to work at NRC, blah, blah, blah. That's um, cool. This is what I've been doing, and I understand you guys use this. I'm just asking in case you might have a need for somebody who knows SAP HR. And she wrote back like the next day, said, very interested in meeting you, like I'd like to set something up. And I went in, long story short, had a couple of chats with people. Next thing I knew, I had a job offer. So you kind of found like an eject button from the, the from, bad situation from, you were in. The yeah. situation at Nortel. <laughs> the, the interesting thing too is that uh, at the same time, a headhunter had approached me about a, a job working for uh, it's not for the not for DND proper, but an ancillary agency of DND, uh, which looked after uh, DND personnel. I should uh, say Department of National Defense for people who might not know. No, yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, and and anyway, so I had progressed in that, and I had gone like. Well, to, sorry, just in this basement, I could have been talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so I had gone for these uh, uh, board interviews downtown. Like it was a pretty big deal. Like. Uh, a lot of people around like peppering me with questions for like two hours and stuff like this. But and and I knew there were other candidates because the headhunter told me there were like three or four others that they were being interviewed. I was the last one to be interviewed. And when I came out of that, I remember she came over and she said, "How do you think you did?" And I said, "I think I did okay." The woman who just interviewed you asked you that. No, this is the headhunter. Oh, okay, right, okay. Who, br- who brought me in? Oh, okay, they sorry. Had hired a headhunter to find them good candidates. So she was there. She yeah, was that's. I wasn't expecting she, was she would be there. Yeah. Um, but she came out, she said, how do you think you did? I said, I think I did okay. She said, I think you did really good. And uh, anyway, she said, go sit by your phone. So I went home, and later on, she called, and she said, she said, she said they had interviewed somebody else right before me, and they were solid on that person. They said, <laughs> they said this is the person we're going to hire. Somewhere that guy's like, fuck Brian yeah. Riley. She, well, she, she said it was to the point where uh, they said, do we really need to interview this Brian Riley guy? Wow. And, and she said, come on, he's here. You've made him, yeah. you owe him. And they said, okay, we'll interview him. And she said, that's how good you did. That's crazy. Yeah, it made me feel great, actually. I, I felt really great. Yeah, but didn't you feel bad for the other guy that you fucked him over? <laughs> well, I'll tell you something else. I knew the other guy. Ooh, yeah, he was from that's Nortel. awkward. He was from Nortel, and he's a great guy. And did he know you got the job, obviously, afterwards, yeah, or no? No, he to this day, has no, no idea? No. Hopefully he doesn't see this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he'll see this podcast. No, no, probably not. And, and I haven't said his name. And you haven't stayed in touch with him? I have. Oh, you have? Yeah. We, oh, good we, Lord. We, we've gone to lunch and everything. And, <laughs> what? And to this day, he doesn't know. Well, because we're friends. But he's never asked you, like, so are you working these? Or, like, what did you do before you retired? It's I, never come up. The fact that you would go to lunch knowing that could come up, I would, that's I would, boss. I, wouldn't, I just wouldn't. Say that I had ever interviewed for that job. I said, yeah, I got a job at... Uh, no, I know, but deep down, you know, it's just... Uh, but I'm not ever going to say it to him. No. <laughs> no, I want him to to feel he got that job on his own merits. And he did. I mean, he would, he was a solid lock, and 
I don't know how I beat him because he's he knows a lot. He's a great like. Well, he, he must have bounced back. He's or whatever, a great yeah. guy. Oh no, he, he had nothing to bounce back from. He did. He's done great. He's still in the job, and, and oh, he's, done, okay. and he's done great with it. I thought you got the job instead of him. No, no, they offered it to me. Oh, okay, okay. They offered <laughs> it to me, right? Now you understand what I was saying. Oh, sorry, then I sorry, thought, sorry, yeah, I thought yeah. you had gotten the job because you no, did end up working at yeah. NRC at the end. No, they called me. They offered me. Oh, okay. And I said, look, I said I have to be honest with you. I'm currently talking to the NRC as well, and I'm due to speak with them. Yeah. And I said I'll, uh, I need to do this. Oh, that's right. You have, you were talking about some yeah. other and company. She, that's right. And she said to me, she said, look, I want you to go talk to NRC. She said because I want you to take this job because you want it yeah right and i said fair enough so i said i'll let you know so anyway i did talk to nrc they offered me a job uh, and i will i wanted to go back to nrc so i but that's crazy that that guy got that job because you didn't take the job wow that's right but he doesn't know anything about that no and i mean sounds like he's still qualified but oh he was very qualified Probably oh. more qualified than I was, I think. Yeah, you just had the pizzazz that day or whatever. I don't know. I had the juice working <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, that's a lot about Nortel. Jesus Christ. Um, no, for sure. <laughs> I did ask. Um, it's interesting stuff, too, though, because I've wondered about a lot of this growing up. But one thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned uh, when we were talking about how you went to university and you didn't really know what you wanted to do yeah. when, when you sort of began. Uh, I had written a question that kind of ties into that, which is, you could go back and, you know, like hypothetical life where, you know, you don't have kids maybe, or you don't, or maybe you still do, but whatever you go back to that university. What now as, as someone who's 65, would you want to do or pursue that is different from what you ended up doing? Uh, so if I had my life to do over again and I went, well, I guess you would, yeah, still meet mom. So I exist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, all that. No. Yeah. Well, I would have done one of two things. I would have either gone and done the doctorate, right? Because I was offered a PhD at Toronto, right? Oh, yeah? I was accepted into the PhD program. To keep doing the parasitology? Parasitology, hmm. that's right. Um, Sherwin Desser uh, was the professor at the U of T who offered me that. And I got, I kept the official letter for years just because I said, see, I could have. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually I turned it down and and went the other route. So I would like to try that route. Was there anything wildly outside of any of this that like, you know, you thought about like, oh, yep. that'd be that'd be a great job. No, being a doctor. Oh, being a doctor. Yeah, okay. Yeah. If I had to probably to start over, then I might have tried medical school. Hmm. Yeah, it's a big commitment. Yeah. Um, but like what what discipline of medicine would you have been interested in? Like being oh, a surgeon? I- or is uh, that too much pressure cutting I someone I think open? Whenever I think about it in my head, it was just a GP. Oh, okay. You know, not I shouldn't say it like that. Just yeah, not not to like, be diminishing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Being a GP, which is probably one of the hardest jobs, because you're well rounded in your knowledge. Well, and you have to deal with so many different people in so many different situations. And I, I'd like to think I would have been good at it, but yeah, who knows? Um, okay, well, I feel like I should bring up some uh, parenting type of stuff. That was one thing I wanted to ask. Was since my oldest son is now 11, we're getting to the teenage years soon. Uh, good luck. Well, I was going to say, what advice do you have for me? And you can use examples of me being a shit in your life when I was younger. But <clears throat> like a challenge at different times. Yeah. Like, like, what would your advice be just to the teenage years of raising children in general? I guess you never had any girls, but. Um, would have loved to have had a girl. Nothing against the boys. No, no, for sure. I, I always wanted a sister, so I can kind of relate well, to that. So yeah. When Fiona came along. Yeah. yeah. So now I have a daughter, so my dad gets to sort yeah. of have that experience with yeah. a granddaughter. But um, 
I don't know. Like, can you think of any times specifically that I really, really tested you? I can think of a lot of times where you tested. I can us. think of a lot. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. You you were fairly challenging. You you were going through a lot of stuff more so I would say than the other two at at that stage of your life. But from a parenting perspective, the thing I think if I had like one piece of advice to give you, mm. it's to talk to your spouse. Okay, I thought you and mom talked pretty openly. Well, that's what I mean. And yeah, we do. Like well, we do. That, well, that's that's <laughs> Sorry, I should say Kelly's doing my dad's job right now. Right, yeah. my, my love of my life over here. We haven't really given you a shout out, so yeah. thank you for filling in. So, um, and, and, and so that's, that's, I'm glad you're doing that. Yeah. So, so you've already got the big leg up because I think the thing that, that got us through some of it was that I listened to your mom and she listens to me and we would talk stuff through and we would, we would work on stuff together and, and we each had sort of, uh, strong suits of where one of us might play a stronger role or another, but it was always, always, we did things in unison with agreement saying, what are we trying to accomplish to help the, this kid or mm-hmm. to, to make this a better situation? And learning from each other's perspectives is definitely helpful because yeah. there's definitely times where I felt like mom understood where I was coming from or, you yeah. know. Well, you know, you and I, had, we were pretty fractious. I, I was more reactionary to things. that You and I would try to talk, but it would always seem to escalate. or explode. Yeah, I was a dramatic teenager also, and I was... Yeah, and I, it was just like two males butting heads. Yeah, right? that's you part know? of it. So, so. But I was also, to be fair, looking back, I can even recognize, especially since I have kids who are going to be teenagers soon, that I was doing a lot of things that would stress most parents out. You know, I was smoking cigarettes from the time I basically started high school. Uh, a couple months later, it was like trying weed. And then like a month later, it was like, oh, I love weed. I That's my thing now forever. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I, I drank at a pretty young age. Like I, I experimented with a lot of things and, and not to shit on that because I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to uh, experimenting with substances. I think there's a lot of people who could use a fucking mushroom trip uh, and put their head on straight. You know, you'd, you'd be surprised how you can... Uh, or whatever it may be, marijuana or whatever, you know, there's, there's uses and needs for those things in people's lives at times. But I think the age is what is the key factor that I've learned looking back. And I've told my kids as such, like, you know, you want to try drinking, you want to try weed, especially now as legal, um, do it, but wait till you're like 19 or wait till you, you've at least graduated high school and your brain is done developing because there's been so much more study done on that, that we didn't really have, um, you know, 20 years ago or whenever I was doing all that shit. So um, well, and, and you can try, uh, that's a great way. Like we always tried to be forward with information and discussion. Yeah. You never made me feel like I couldn't come to you guys with anything. Well, well take sex, right? I mean, we were very open with you guys about sex and talking about it, but we, we talked about it perhaps a little more biologically. Than yeah. We you guys were like, it. always like the sperm goes up the fallopian tube. It was, yeah. you know, it's not like you had like a porn talk or something, well, but yeah, yeah. But other things like, like I still remember the day I, I, took like a box of a dozen condoms and basically said to you and Ben, look like here they are <laughs> right here in the closet. So if you, we're not saying, go yeah, out and go crazy. we're not going to count and see if how many have been That's used right. or well, but I'll know when it's empty and I'll fill it up again. But the key thing was be safe, keep her safe. You yeah. know, don't have a kid. Yeah. But, but don't be crazy about it. Don't be irresponsible. You yeah. Know? I mean, it should be meaningful, but if, if it gets that stage and you're going to do it one way or the other, for God's sakes, because the last thing I wanted was one of you guys, because I know young males, especially like going into the pharmacy, buying some condoms. It's like this big thing. It's a lot easier if 
dad just puts a box here. You just take what you Well, need. I actually was just, just thinking about that yesterday because um, a lot of people like to shit on self-checkouts. But I was thinking like buying condoms is so Lobbies. much easier for a scared 15-year-old now or whatever. You just scan the shit yourself and yeah. throw it in. Yeah, I just I, coincidentally, I was just, just thinking about that yesterday. Yeah. Whatever it may be, maybe you have, uh, you know... I guess kids that age don't get hurt or uh, um, hemorrhoids. I was trying to think of other embarrassing things you might yeah, need yeah, to buy yeah, at the yeah, pharmacy yeah. that now you can just do it yourself and yeah. nobody needs to be any the wiser, you know? Well, even where the guy has to go buy sanitary pads for his wife or stuff like well, that. Well, yeah. Who says I mean, sanitary pads? I don't know. Well, what do you say? 1957. What do you say? Just pads. Uh, and I think most yeah. chicks like tampons. I don't know. They have those diva cups now, too. Uh, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I, don't I don't know enough about that. I don't know what that is, so... Well, I'm not going to go into it, but yeah. uh, you can Google it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So I guess teenagers, it's the first lesson is always like if you make something taboo, they're going to want to do it more. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, I some always things have to be taboo to some extent because at 13, you can't drive a car. You can't yeah. do this. You can't do that. Right. I mean. So, but, but I just wonder how much more I kept smoking cigarettes because my parents were telling me I shouldn't be. And it's, it's stupid because now I look back and I go like, what an idiot I was like, why didn't I just focus on the fact that it's damaging my lungs and everybody knows smoking's bad for you. But there was some sort of an appeal to that rebellious. And like, what was I rebelling against? Like a good, like mid to upper middle class white family. Like, you know, sometimes I honestly think that that's why I did um, a lot of partying and stuff in my teen years is that like, and this is going to sound like the most privileged thing ever, but that my life was so good. Like I, that sounds like a really asshole thing to say, I guess, but like I had good parents. I wasn't like needing things. Usually I had a roof over my head and food and I went to a decent school and all that. So um, I don't want to say I was bored, but I think like a lot of the music I was into, a lot of the people that I idolized, they, they all had a lot more struggle and trials and tribulations uh, coming up and through their youth and stuff. And, and in a lot of cases, it seemed like it defined them. And then I wanted to be like those people. I wanted to have something edgy about me, some struggle that I had to overcome that was mine, you know? And, and obviously that wasn't necessarily the, the wisest decision, but I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Like, why but did I, I think you did have some struggles too, like the OCD. And yeah. I've had obviously mental health issues that have sort of progressed as I've gotten older, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Cause I, I've had, indications of obsessive compulsive disorder since I was like grade four, about 10 years old was the first time I have memories. I used to shut all things and, uh, yeah, that's, I always still shut cupboards and, you know, even still I check the goddamn oven like three times that the elements aren't on before I go to bed. Like certain things like that are pretty hard to shake, but I also have never burned my house down. So I guess there's (laughs) something to be taken away from that. I wish some of that shutting stuff would rub off on your mom. She always leaves cupboard doors and drawers. I'm always banging my heads because she doesn't shut anything. <laughs> and I've been telling her for years, can't you just shut the... I'm busy. I'm making stuff, you know? And It's I go, funny. Oh. I, I uh, feel like I'm turning into you most of the time now that I have kids because every goddamn day I'm like, who left these fucking lights on? <laughs> like every day. Oh, my God. And uh, anytime it's possible, it seems to happen. But, you know, that's just part of being a dad, I guess. It's and like, who touched the thermostat? <laughs> that whole... And some of these things, too, are... are will will always be this way because it's all... It's, it's the young person going through the change of becoming their own person, becoming uh, independent. They have to rebel to some degree and things like that. And It helps define you. And and parents are trying to keep them safe and keep them in a bubble uh, to some degree you know, while they slowly expose them to the world. And so these things are always kind of a little bit at loggerheads. And all you can do is, first of all, all you can do is your best, right? Every, yeah. every parent 
is new to the job, right? Like they've never done this before, so they have to learn. There's always no shortage of conflicting advice out there, right? That's uh, true. The older generation trying to tell you what was you should do. This, this is way. how we this used to do it. How we used Get to do the it. belt. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you've got friends telling you you're doing this. Way. And anyways, everyone figures it out for themselves. But I think there are still some um, foundation blocks. And one of the big ones is communication. And it sounds like you're doing a good job on that already with your kids. So oh yeah. Gotta, I mean, you got to talk. If you I think talk, censorship is usually a detriment. I mean, within reason. Obviously, I'm not going to show yeah. extremely graphic content to my children Violence of people or dying or, or like yeah. sex stuff or whatever. But um, but talking about stuff for sure. I don't try to sugarcoat. Like if something's on the news, I'm not going to try and rephrase it for their little baby ears. It's like, yeah. you know, some degree, this is the world you're living in. Like you're going to figure it out sooner or later. You got to do it in increments. But so here's where I might disagree with you just a little bit, though. So uh, like I agree in being open and talking things through and stuff, but you got to be a little careful how you talk about some stuff because you don't want to scare the crap out of your kids as they're as they're forming. Yeah. Like let them know like. You may as well give up because the world's fucked. Well, you know no, I mean? yeah. we never try to do that. No, I, I just mean well, more. But you got to watch for that because kids, their little brains will go, start working, right? Climate change, the, the earth's going to yeah. burn up. Uh, this disease is going to kill us all. This is, you know, all these different things. It's pretty intense. Of, yeah. yeah, it's hard on them. Yeah. Well, that's why at the same time, it's we always try to build a foundation of like love and understanding and all that to counterbalance the fucked up world, <laughs> you know, yeah. give them a home base that at least feels normal exactly. and, uh, Try to tr tr uh, train your kids to make good relationships and ask questions. And, you know, that's one thing I've always tried to tell my, my children is just to always, you know, ask questions and, and be willing to listen as well to other people's perspectives and try to always try to keep learning and always try to keep growing. You know, that's yeah. the best you can really do. I, I, adults should do that, honestly. Like, you should never really stop that. Um, I'm trying to look at my list of stuff here. I have a few, a uh, couple more things. Well, one thing I was going to talk about was podcasting stuff. Uh, what do you think we're headed in the future? I know we've we've talked about some things that we're going to get you a microphone. Ideally, oh. one day we should have a camera that we could switch to yourself yeah. if you're talking. But uh, one thing I actually wanted to ask, sort of re-Strombo re being on the show, is what guest would you want on our show if you could pick anyone for, for me to interview and you to sit idly by and interject when you feel appropriate? Um, only cause I remember we talked about Strombo like a week or two before that shit happened. And you were like, Oh, George Strombolopoulos. Oh, that would be great to get him. Oh, I would love to pick his brain or something like that. And then that shit happened. And it was like, so that's kind of where I got this question from is if the stars were to align again, you know, I, I, I don't know. I guess I could say living or dead, but let's stick with living. Let's be realistic. Cause I know you might pick like Leonard Cohen or one of these. Oh man. Right. I, I know you. I would have loved to talk to Leonard Cohen. But for, let's say the living, just to keep it in the realm of realism here. So so this is a little out of left field, and maybe it's just because he's in my head right now because I've seen him recently. But I would really like to spend some in-depth time talking with Keanu Reeves. Seems like a good guy, and his life has been insane from what I've read. Well, and I don't want to give him a big head, but he's said some things that are almost profound, right? Like... And now don't ask you what they they are right now, but there there was. Did you know about his life as well and the things he's gone through? Well, I know about a wife that died early on after having a miscarriage. Oh, okay. And uh, there's something in his childhood, I believe, too. It, it was just yeah. thing after thing. I remember reading his life and just going like, "Wow, this guy kept getting kicked when he was down." And yeah. 
he keeps being this positive dude trying to and he rides the subway still like normal person and nice things for people like this this is the thing whenever you hear a story about keanu it's always positive one time when some some uh some plane got delayed or the weather kicked it out but everyone needed to get into new york and they were like 100 miles away and he said well let's like let's rent this uh, van and he just got like got six other random passengers who wanted to go in on it with him and off they added and he he got his music device out and played some of the songs he liked. He seems like he kind of has a hippie a hippie's heart you know well yeah it's like he's not hung up on the whole stardom thing materialistic bullshit what it seems yeah from what i've heard i I get the same vibe they come across they come across the, the stories are all like individuals who come across him in some happenstance way like one was uh, uh, at a, a picture where a guy was in his car, and Keanu pulls up on a motorcycle next to him, and it's like, "Hey, Keanu!" And he's like, "Hey, you know." And they have like a moment. They he takes the picture and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, he, you never hear a bad story about I, him, really. I've never, I've never heard like a bad story about this guy. Yeah. And I would just like to know like how he gets sort of his Zen approach to everything. Yeah, I imagine he meditates a lot, or he's just had some sort of amazing therapist or something. Yeah. Um, did I you see? Like, uh, I just like the guy. They just, you know, it's a good pick. I wasn't expecting that, but I would love to interview him. Um, not that I expect it to happen, but that'd be cool. One day, you never know. Um, did you see? There's a, a new trailer for Bill and Ted Three. Yeah, I gotta <laughs> say, I wasn't that impressed by it. It looked all right. Yeah. I, I, to be fair, I, I don't know if this is against my geek cred, but I may have seen the original two when I was really young. Like when they were first coming out, and I was like seven at my friend's house or something. Watch but it again, of yeah, I think I'm gonna revisit them because I know a lot of friends that love those movies. He's doing uh, Matrix Four too, right? Yeah, yeah, and he said it was the Wachowskis uh, wrote because someone said like, "Why did you do this?" And he said because they wrote a beautiful script. And I read it and I said, "Yeah." Oh, for the new one. Yeah. Okay, because I was gonna say I remember hating the third one. Yeah. It was I, Lana Wachowski, I think, is the one who wrote the script. And yeah, one of them had a sex reassignment surgery, right? They both have now. Oh, they both have. Interesting. It's so funny. There was the Wachowski brothers. Now it's the Wachowski sisters. Hey, yeah. whatever makes whatever, you happy. Whatever works. Yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, if they got the money to do it, I guess you got to pay for that down in the states. I would assume, right? Well, I, I, I Everything. Don't, yeah. I don't think money's their issue. Yeah. No, no. I'm saying like at least they have the ability to do yeah. that. You know. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, that actually ties into two things because this was kind of where I was going to take a turn and go really geeky to kind of you know wrap it up eventually. Um, but since you mentioned the matrix, there was another question I had kind of before that stuff, which was, you're basically an atheist. I've gathered for the most part, like mom's kind of infected you with her spiritual stuff and, and makes, <laughs> I think you, I think open your mind a little bit more, but I've heard a, a pretty strong atheist vibe from you. But, uh, the real question I was going to ask is, do you believe in the simulation theory? Do you think that's very plausible or, well, you know, like Elon Musk says, like, we're all living in the matrix, essentially that kind of thing. Or do you think that's just kind of bullshit? I think it's bullshit. <laughs> I, I mean, it, that particular theory does not appeal to me. Yeah. And and actually, I, for most of my life, I've not called myself an atheist. Or you're agnostic? Agnostic is usually what I... That's usually what I call myself. It's yeah. That just means you're open to the possibility of a god? Well, or? It's, it's, I don't have any proof that there's not a god. Oh. As well, neither do atheists, right? Or they well, would argue that well, they do. They would argue that they do. By the absence of it. Yeah. Okay. But I, so I think an agnostic is someone who says, look, I don't prove to, to know or not know. And yeah. The universe is a complicated I'm, I'm, place. I'm open. If, if some evidence presents itself, it's sort of incontrovertible evidence. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to somebody said, oh, I had a dream, you know, uh, or that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then I'd say, well, okay, you know, but 
And I guess the older you get, the more hopeful, I would think. Well, funny. I'm more the other way. The older oh, really? I get, the more I'm, I'm drifting to, to sort of the atheist side. I, I mean, you listen to somebody like Ricky Gervais talk about it, uh, even as part of a routine. I mean, he's making his points, and you go, yeah. It just Yeah, I've heard some of his just stuff. Just reinforces what I'm thinking anyway, you know, I mean. You're very science-brained, though, you know. I think that, that yeah. walk yeah. of sort of faith or whatever you want to call it, spirituality that appeals to you because that's how your brain works. You know, you want to have well, logic behind those. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's everybody's different. Like, there are a lot of scientists who go to church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, these guys who deal with cold logic and hard facts and yet they believe that there's a God up there watching us or whatever. And of course everyone explains God in their different ways, right? I mean, or they say it's science we don't understand yet, or yeah, we could or, never understand because it's divine science or and Ricky Gervais, you know, he'll he'll talk about you know the the hundreds or thousands of gods that there's that have been right or, or that there are you know and what makes your god the right god. Yeah, I think that's what he really objects to even is is the division that, of religions. Yeah, there are these yeah. people who seem to feel well if you're not Christian, don't believe like the Jesus Christ God, mm-hmm. you know, and all that, then you're a heathen and you're gonna burn in hell. And so, well, come on, like you know, if you're born in India or you're born in China. You, you were never exposed to this. And yeah, that's not even fair. It's just not even fair. Like yeah. Jesus is just like, screw yeah. them. Yeah, no, that's so, not. So there's that kind of a thing. But then there's just the pure. It just doesn't make sense. But on the other hand, there are other things that I just don't understand either. I mean, we go back to the Big Bang and, and that there's this, there's this what? That there's this infinitesimally small something that one day explodes and makes everything and and within like a couple of seconds the universe is birthed all this matter and energy and all this and you go well hang on what was that thing what was that th- where yeah. did that come from yeah, exactly and no one's got the answer for that i don't believe i mean they'll tell you well there's a theory that this is a a pinhole from another universe and all this spewed out from some other but where was that universe and like you're just gonna keep going down that rabbit hole exactly exactly where did everything come from yeah that's kind of where i'm at i mean i i'm okay with life as being just a random bunch of things that happen chemically you know that 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 came and developed over time through evolution like you're 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 not uh, someone who subscribes to destiny or whatever No. no no but uh but you still can't. But 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 even if there wasn't life, and it's just an empty, cold universe, yeah, no life in it. Still, where the fuck did it all come? From? <laughs> I don't know. What's the point, too? Is yeah, another valid it's question. Just, it just bends our What's brains. the point? Well, well, it's even more confusing. Yeah, I don't know, but like, especially when humans become involved in the amazing things that happen, or the tragic things that happen, and the way that we interpret those things and are able to feel those things. All of that, like, what's the point of all that? It just seems so, like, that's a part of atheism that really bothers me is it kind of, it, it makes all those important things you thought were so important and valued and, and the loved connections you have with other people and all that seem, it, it's like shitting on that and being like, that's nothing when you die. It's all fucking nothing. If you it was it never from, for anything at all. you from the perspective that, that life is just this thing that happened, let, let's go with that for a second. Yeah. You know, it's. You know, we had the primordial soup and, you know, bacteria, bubble, it's all just evolution. And, and some of us gain sentience and, and the ability to start controlling our environment and start to relating to each other and all that. And that's what it is. So all you can do with that is do the best you can with it. You know, have a good life. Be kind to others. Yeah. Try to learn. Try to develop. Try to live in the moment. This is it. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you're someone like me, th- I think this is it. Um, when I die... 
I'm gone. I don't. I, this is where I, I, I differ from mom, right? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's like fade to black. You think your energy and your molecules may be redistributed? And, well, they are you know, redistributed. Well, yeah, they turn into you know something else eventually. Yeah, either worm food or you burn me. But up what happens to the consciousness, the pilot within your I being? I think it's gone. Well, I've heard the argument um, that some people think that. Oh, I'm gonna fuck this up. I think some people think that. Um, we're like in an experience that when you die, it's like you're a TV set and the TV set's just broken. But then other people think that the frequency, it's more like a radio signal and that the conduit stops working, but the signal carries on. And that's you, your soul, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And that right now your frequency, your soul is just tuned into this unit. But that where does that signal go? Just because the unit stops working. You know what I mean? Like a radio signal doesn't disappear just because you smash the radio. It's still out there. Well, the radio signal is propagating out through space, sure, and getting more I, I, diffused. I don't know. It's probably like a, yeah. a nutshell sort of like. It's, it's not. I, I it's said not, I was going to butcher this, it's but it's not generating anything new, right? I mean, as soon as the set's broken, it's not generating. Anything. No, no, no. But if my my point being that if you were to get another radio and tune to that same frequency, the frequency is still there. Oh. So that's the, obviously so, the frequency is coming from a radio tower. Like you have to take it with a grain of salt for a metaphor. Are, but we are. The radio signal, yeah, we're we generate the signal, and when you kill this, you kill the source of the. Well, signal. that's the other. So you're kind of explaining it better than I did. That's the other argument with the once it's broken, it's done. You know, yeah, the signal's coming from this unit, and when the unit dies, the signal dies. But other people see people people will say, well, you know, it's all energy, man. Like yeah. that kind of a thing, right? And you just transform from this energy into another kind of energy. You go from this place. Well, and we're all made up of stars. We all come from stars. All, people always we say we are all stardust. That part I agree with. That's, that's cool. Log, that's logical, but but stardust is not sentient. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I, I just have a hard time believing there's this ethereal plane that our souls or our Your consciousness consciousness like just moves to this next thing. It's a nice story we tell each other to help us deal with the grips of death right i mean well and i think it's it's another way you can look at it is um if you're so okay if you and mom got together the genetic part i was supposed to look like this and develop and i could have made life choices to eat more food or or have a bad diet and maybe i'd be bigger or i could you know there's things that could factor in but generally speaking my dna my genes this this was the unit that you guys were going to make at that time right so but you can take that the mindset of like okay but what about like the the person thinking inside why is it me as opposed to someone else's soul? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what if you had made the same person, but it's not me, like the inner voice you hear, like it's somebody else was in here, like you, like, or that's a bad example, but you know what I mean? Some yeah, but your inner voice is something that, that develops with you as you develop yeah. from, from this combination of things. Like, for instance, if, uh, if I was born like my father and I had a deformity, right, um, that would change who I was probably as an adult then from who I am today because I had two normal. Well, what about the things like we talked about earlier that seem to be innately a part of you that weren't learned and they're just like, oh, this guy, yeah, he just really loves classical music and yes. the first time he heard it, he was just kicking in his crib and or whatever it may yeah. be. That's just an so example. But the, yeah, no. And, nature versus nurture to a yeah, degree, yeah. you know. And that's really interesting and, and that stuff's fun to study because you're right. I mean, you can see like uh, a grandfather who's able to just draw brilliantly, right? Yeah. And they might have like like three kids uh, and they can't draw worth shit. Exactly. And then they have a grandkid who just draws wonderfully, just like he go gets that from his grandpa. Yeah, exactly. But that grandma. could still be argued to be.
genetics then, yeah. Well, this is what I mean. I do think there is something to some innate skills and things like that having a genetic basis. I had thought that there was, I had heard... Um, Isn't that epigenetics? Isn't there, there's a thing called epigenetics where you, um, when you get your, your genes analyzed, you find out you have genes for certain things that you may not have been aware of, right? And they say, you know, actually, your genes are saying that if you do this, you're going to be, be really good, good oh, interesting. or able to develop that. It's called epigenetics where you, you learn about your genes and you learn how to express those genes. So you might never have uh, gone swimming for just for argument's sake, right? But then you look at your genes and say, well, you've got a really strong swimmer's gene here, you know. Have you ever really pursued that? Hmm. Say, well, no, I never have, but... I will now. Yeah. And you go out, you go, hey, I'm fucking good at this. And then you're like, why didn't someone tell me this when I was like 10? Yeah, right. And and there's guys who are studying this whole thing because you can use it not only to ex to express genes for talents like that, but you can use it for health. Like you look at your genes, you say, well, you know, you've got, this is a weak respiratory system. So you need to really focus on developing that because it's innately weak by your genes. So express what you can to make yourself stronger aerobically for instance or something mm. like that or you know it's, it's all that kind of stuff you know uh um th this is a, a nascent field right it's it's pretty young something that's still being yeah developed understood and, yeah well the whole uh, understanding of genome is still <laughs> we mapped it what back in like 2002 or something yeah like i just watched a mini documentary on netflix about that yeah, um, we don't understand it yet i had heard i don't know if this is true or not but have there not been instances of people who got i think the example i heard was like a man uh, whatever he, I don't know the specifics about the man, but he got a transplant uh, and the heart was from like an Asian woman. And then after the transplant had like crazy cravings for certain cuisine that he had never wanted in his life that apparently she oh. loved or whatever, stuff I've like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm pulling that out of my ass, I never but heard that story, but that's interesting. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, damn, I thought you might've, <laughs> no, no, no. but I do think there's something to, to the whole genes part, you know, as well. So yeah, the nature versus nurture. Yeah, there's, that's a real thing. Yeah, that's well, that's it's it's weird because you don't get a do-over, right? Like you can't take a baby, let him live his life one way, and then go back ten years, and then well, we're gonna ten, take him yeah. this way. Will he still love piano either way, even if we don't expose him to it, or yeah. you know? And then that would maybe be an argument for the soul or the genetic thing. But yeah. um, okay, well, like I said, we probably got to wrap up. I know Kelly has to work tomorrow, um, so I want to switch it over to nerdiness just to to end things here. So, first of all, I should mention my dad has a crazy comic book collection. Uh, like, how many comics do you have now? Over 10,000. Over 10,000 comic books. Um, but you started collecting comics at a really young age, I, I, I believe. I remember it stuck with me when I got into comics. You told me a story that when you went to college, yep. your mom, my grandma, threw a bunch of comics that would have been like some of the first issues of X-Men. Stuff yep. that would have been worth some real money. So, so I was born in 55. Yeah. So on the I, boom in Marvel was like early 60s with all those titles, 63, yeah, 64. Yeah, it's just getting going, really, I think. And uh, when I first started reading comics, I was probably like, you know, seven years old, something Yeah, like 62. That. So, yeah, that's yeah. about right when they started kicking yeah. off. And and I just love them. So, I mean, I love books of all kinds. I read like a fiend when I was a kid, but I love comic books. And science them. fiction, too. Yeah, science fiction I love. But but superheroes and stuff, love them, you know. And I read comics, and and I had you know a lot of comics, like a box full of comics, you know. But were they in great shape? I yeah, don't exactly. Know. They might but, have had tape on the cover. Yeah, or but something. Not, uh, but I wasn't hard on them either, right? But it was the days pre-collecting. You didn't have like little uh, sleeves you put them in and stuff no, back then. No, 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 no. But I'll tell you something. Uh, I had a friend, Paul, and Paul had an older brother, John. He was like three years ahead of us, 
And I remember when I was in high school, because that's where I met Paul, going to his house one day, and he, we were talking comics or something, he said, you really like comics, don't you? And I said, yeah, I've always liked them, you know. And he said, let me show you something. And we went into his brother's bedroom, which was a little risky, because we were, <laughs> he was one Oh, of you guys snuck into his yeah, older yeah, brothers? Yeah. Huh. And, and Paul reached under his bed, and he started pulling out these comic long boxes. I'd never seen a comic long box before. Oh. And they were full of comics. They were all bagged and boarded. Oh, so that community did exist to some well, degree. This is, uh, now we're talking 19, 1971-ish. Okay, yeah. Like this. But he was ahead of his time. For this sure. This guy was a bona fide collector. He had hundreds of comics. And they went right from like early 60s, maybe even late 50s. You think he still has them? Oh, I'm sure he does. Yeah. yeah. Well, he might have sold them. You don't know what happened to his life. Maybe (laughs) Maybe he went bankrupt or something. He'll probably be 70 years old now. I mean, I I haven't seen the guy in. I could see a 70 year old guy being like, hey, I'm going to finally sell these and get that yacht or whatever. And his, so his would be worth money. So the thing with my mom was, yeah, like, so I had a box of some of my favorite comics or whatever. um, And I went away to university. And, you know, to be fair, I didn't say anything special. It's not like she knew, yeah. Yeah. And one day I came back and home at Christmas or whatever. I thought, oh, I'll go look at my... And they weren't there. And I said, like, where are my comics? And, oh, I go, Brian, you're too old for comics. Oh. Just got rid of all those comics. Grandma, yeah. rest in soul. God, yeah. how did you do that? And when I got sucked back into comics, because I didn't do anything with them for a long time, was when Ben was born, your brother, of course, for people out there. Um, so that was, when was he born? 83. Yeah. And... I had him in a stroller, and I was walking through some store, and I saw one of these rotating stands of comics, and it had uh, it had like a brand new Superman, a brand new Flash, or something like that, starting at issue number one. And I said, "How can that be issue number one?" This is when they started doing all the re. Yeah, something they've done many, many, so many times. I don't now. know why. I picked up, I bought it, took it home, I read it, and then I went and I watched. I bought number two, and then number three, and then I picked up another title. And away we went. And you just started. Yeah, <laughs> and I went with the classics, things that I'd grown up with, right? You know, I was going to say, because you've always been heavy DC over Marvel. Yeah, although I read Marvel when I was a kid, too. Honestly, the DC-Marvel thing isn't because I like DC more than Marvel. It's I, I only have so much money. Yeah, but you had to make a choice to pick DC at one point. Yeah, but I, I still collect Spider-Man. I yeah, that's true. You had a couple titles for Marvel that you stuck Spider-Man. with. I had Spider-Man. I had a couple of others. Over there. I still collect Thor. Oh, yeah? Know, yeah, yeah. I got a ton of Thor comics. So there are certain ones that I still have, but yeah, Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, Flash. They're older characters as yeah. well, yeah. Yeah, I never really collected Wonder Woman, but I liked her in the Justice League, you know, and yeah. like all those sorts of things. Metal Men, I used to think Metal Men were so Metal cool. Men, well, that's yeah. science You're robot. such a science nerd. All robot guys. Yeah, but each one based on an element. I, well, that's super science yeah, yeah, yeah. to be thinking that's badass or whatever. Yeah, I thought Metal Men was good, and... and uh, there's, there's some I always like Metamorpho from DC. Yeah, Metamorpho was cool. The Element yeah. Man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, he was neat. He's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. I just liked his look. And yeah. same with Martian Manhunter was always a fan. But I knew even when I was young, I remember reading the early Spideys, and I knew Spidey, it was so different from the DC take, right? When I was reading the early Spideys and Peter, I, I felt like, oh, he's just like me. Yeah, I think yeah. that's how everyone feels with yeah. Spider-Man. But, yeah. but, but Stan Lee, I mean, he really hit it on the nose, right? Yeah. He really got that, that hook into you. I mean, Superman was Superman. You were never going to be Superman. You See, know? it's weird. I love Spider-Man, and he's definitely one of my favorite for the same reasons. It's an every man's hero, kind of. Right. But I had similar feelings about the X-Men just growing up. To me, the X-Men were so cool, mainly because all you had to do was hit puberty, and you got powers. And I was, like, at an age where I was waiting to hit puberty. Yeah, and you could be like Beast, and suddenly your hands and feet were four times. True, yeah. Time. It wasn't always great. Oh, there's worse examples. Um, there was a whole run they did. 
in the early 2000s. I think it was Grant Morrison, actually, when he came on. Uh, I might be wrong on that, though. But there was a point where they started to specifically showcase kind of loser mutants to show, like... And then a lot of writers ended up retconning, or, or maybe not retconning, but getting rid of that later on because they felt like it got to the point where there's just too many mutants in the Marvel Universe, and that's when they had that whole decimation event that shrunk the numbers down to like a couple hundred just to kind of put everything in their place you know uh which was funny because certain characters that actually had been long-standing characters like the blob he lost his powers and then he was just a fat dude because <laughs> blob was pretty powerful <laughs> before is. that no one can move him if you yeah. punch him your hand gets stuck in him you know yeah, he was yeah, a right. formidable yeah. a uh opponent you know and then what's, and re what's really interesting i think with x-men and, and with so many of the other characters too is to see this evolution over the decades that they've been mm. around right I remember those very, very early X-Men. I read the first 40 I, I issues online. Yeah, well, I read them when they came out. They were lame well, they were, <laughs> compared. I, but when you were a kid back then, and it's the first iteration, you're seeing you got a guy with wings that can fly. None of this had been done, yeah. Iceman in there. You yeah. Know? I mean, holy shit, this is incredible stuff. But you see what they've done with it in the universe, and you see the way they rendered things today. It's just, like, so different. Yeah, well, I haven't. And, and, then, and then to see them rendered on the screen. Well, that's actually another question. Because um, I was going to say, I shouldn't say they were lame, but it, compared to the comics I was reading at the time, it, I did find it kind of hard to get through those really old issues. Uh, mainly, this is maybe make me sound like a dunce, but there's just so much more text heavy in the older comics. They would have these, every panel would have a big fucking square with like a paragraph or more. And I don't hate reading, but like what I like about more modern comics is you still get that. You still get a lot of story, but there's a lot more showcasing of art and art to sort yes. of... Art that makes you feel that kinetic movement of what's happening. They, they really nailed that. Um, some of the artists that people shit on, you know, like, um, what's his name? Rob Liefeld, the guy who can't draw, can't feet. draw feet. But he yeah. did a lot of kind of groundbreaking storyboarded sort of like action sequences that weren't being done at the time and sort of broke up the monotony of just the panel well, old you, school. You, you, still get, uh, you still get some interesting things. Like there's a new run of Legion of Superheroes that's just started, right? And so I've, I've got the first five issues, and I was reading them this morning. Um, and I just was, at one point, I went, Jesus, this is a lot of reading. Oh, yeah. and, and I just kind of stepped out of the, the individual panel and looked at the two pages. I went, there's a lot of friggin' text on these yeah. two pages. Well, I, maybe they're going back to it. Well, I hadn't seen that for a while. And that's what you get in comics. You, you get waves of this and that and the other thing. And, and you know, as much as I collect comics and, and I, I know a, a lot about the characters and the development of the years, one thing I've never done that you and your brothers have more impressed me with, and you're not even into it the same way I am, no. is, as you say, oh, I like this writer and that writer or this artist and that artist. I'm shit with their names. Like, I go, I, the only artists I remember are Sears and Elliot, Bart Sears and I think it was Randy Elliot. They did Justice League Europe. Oh, really? And I thought. I could name some other artists and you'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I know the names. Todd like, McFarlane, sure, come on. Sure, yeah, absolutely. But Sears and Elliot really stood out to me with that Justice League International or Justice League Europe. <laughs> Justice League Europe that they did. And it was, it was the art was like so fantastic, you know, especially how they drew the women. <laughs> I was going, holy <laughs> Oh, that got ridiculous in the 90s. Yeah, Good yeah, Lord. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, it was John Byrne and the X-Men stuff yeah, from the yeah. 70s. I always loved his art. Yeah. Um, I have a few. Oh, yeah. So one question, if we can do this one sort of brief, because I think we yeah, are probably yeah, getting late. Sure. But um, you mentioned seeing them on the screen. And I wanted to ask you, what is a character that hasn't been in any capacity on screen TV or movies from comics that you can't wait to see come to life as a real, you know, maybe CGI, but like in a live action movie. And they've done a lot of characters. <laughs> it's actually hard. Well, there's some that have been done that I, I'd like to see redone correctly. Okay. Well, that still counts, I, I guess. Know, I mean, Green Lantern's an obvious one. Yeah. They really blew 
it with a. And Ryan Reynolds is awesome, but it just wasn't Ryan a good Reynolds. fit, really. But, but even he, I mean, as Deadpool, blew the brains. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of it, the CGI and the mask was weird, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know what though? I watched that with the kids, people who and Kelly too, who really didn't know shit all about Green Lantern, and. Yeah. They didn't hate it. Like, it was, um, especially when he was training on Oa or whatever, and Kilowog was showing him how and training with Sinestro. There was some good performances. It was just kind of a sloppy mess. And So I'll tell you what I'd like to see. And it's not a single character. But what I'd like to see is I'd like to see a drift back into some of the Golden Age stuff and get a little more of those characters brought to the forefront. And actually, until a week ago, I would say I'd never seen these characters rendered, but I saw them because there's a new series on the, I think it's on CW. I know because I just pull them down off the net. But it's called Star Girl. Yeah, you talked to me about yeah, yeah, this yeah. the other day. So episode one, the very first one, starts off with this big fight, right? Stripesy, who was Starman's sidekick back then, who's a, a terrible name. Human. I'm gonna say yeah, Stripesy. Yeah, he wore his striped shirt, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Wow, they really yeah, thought yeah, on that, really one. that one. But <laughs> but he go he's driving up into this big fight in this mansion. And he goes in and it's the Justice Society of America. Dr. Midnight and Our Man, the original Jay Garrick, Flash, yeah. Starman, all these iconic Justice Society. Dr. Earth, Fate, Earth too. Yeah. Two, Earth 2, Justice Society of America guys. I'd love to see someone like take all those guys and bring them. Put them in like a feature film oh, or something? Yeah. yeah. God, I would love that. That'd be kind of cool. Do it like a wartime yeah, era. Do it, set, set, do it set back in yeah. the 40s. Yeah. That'd be cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like what they did with the first Captain America movie. Yeah, they... the powers are more limited, let's say, a lot of the times. I mean, Flash is still super fast. and But you don't have, like, Superman-level characters that can do pretty not, much anything. Not too many. Yeah. 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 Huh. Okay, well, um, I did have a few. These were supposed to be fast sort of geek questions. Okay, so, yeah, you know, right. give me a couple sentences, but don't, don't you know, go on and on. I'll do my best, yeah. Um, the first one was because I like X-Men so much. Do you have a favorite X-Men? And why, briefly? I think I always liked Iceman. I, th I thought he was pretty cool because, you know, I'd seen the Torch in the Fantastic Four, and I always thought the Torch was – he was Human the, Torch is awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he was the – So it's kind of the counterpart. Yeah, it's the counterpart, and I thought, that's pretty cool. You know, he'd make these ice slides he'd slide around on. Or and he came out as a gay guy in recent years. Oh, did he? Iceman's oh, gay now in, in canon, yeah. And uh, actually, there's a lot of evidence in the past of all his, his relationships that never really worked out, like he was faking being uh, into chicks. Okay, okay. So there's actually, like, the writers kind of pulled from real stuff from the comics, so I got respect for that. Yeah, I mean, and X-Men's always been about um, people feeling accepted even though other people are telling them they're freaks or they shouldn't be there. You know, that's right. I, I always thought the message of X-Men was so powerful because it was just like, hey, like, you're one of us. It's all good. Like, we right. welcome everyone. Although... Uh, yeah, they took humans in once in a while. I was going to say you still have to be a mutant, but, you know, I, it still had a good positive message overall. It doesn't matter if you're Nightcrawler with blue skin or if you're, you know, whoever else. They all had their own thing going on. Um, okay, best Star Trek captain and why? I knew that one might be a bit of a thinker. Oh, gosh. I would honestly pick Kirk. I know it's not my question, but I just love I mean, Kirk's appealing, but was he the best captain? Hang on. As far as leading his crew and shit? Yeah, he's a little bit risky. Yeah. yeah. He did some bravado a lot of the times. I mean, I'm going to go with uh, Picard. The, yeah? Yeah. I always thought Picard was pretty balanced. Guy. What are the other ones? Cisco, Janeway, and uh, the guy from Enterprise. I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah. Captain. What, what's uh, his name? It's the guy good. from Quantum Leap. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got... Uh, and I think that series is way underrated. I really enjoyed that series. I never watched that one. Oh, no. It's good. Um I but can't remember one, his name. One with Cisco. What was that, what was that one? That called? was Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. And they I, were on the space station. A lot of people think like that was the most 
meaty of all of them, but I never really took to it. That I didn't like so. it because they were always in one place for the most part. I liked the. Yeah. To me, Star Trek was always about exploring yeah, strange new worlds. Yeah. You know. Have you watched the new one though? Star no, and I well, I heard people said it's actually pretty good, but originally I heard people saying that they changed the Klingons and they don't look anything like it anymore. And yeah, but they still look pretty good, I think. But I mean, but why the change? Do they even explain that shit? No, no, it's just a different rendering. I mean, it's like you go back to Captain Kirk Klingons. Look at those guys. Well, they didn't have any uh, bumps on their foreheads, yeah, but uh, kind of greeny skin. Ben told me that was all um, explained. That it was like some uh, shitty group of Klingons that were like kind of ousted from the main Klingon Empire, and so you know, it's retconned. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but but the the new Star Trek I think looks pretty good. I've s I saw a couple of episodes. I, I have to watch more. Of There's too much good stuff on TV. Well, I thought the movies were good, too. Um, oh, the reboot ones, J.J. Uh, Abrams ones? Yeah. Yeah, those were pretty good. Yeah, I enjoyed all of those. Rest in peace to Chekhov. That guy got it uh, pretty bad. Anton. Yeah, yeah, crushed by his own SUV or whatever. That was horrible. Uh, he seemed like a really nice kid. Oh, yeah, right? Every He seemed like the nicest yeah. guy. Um, okay, well, uh, to move on to not such a horribly tragic thing. Um, best sci-fi movie or book of all time? Like, kind of just don't think about it, you know? You got to think about it a little bit. Well, yeah. There, there's so many. Don't overthink. It's supposed to be like a speed round, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the be best movie, I'm just going to go with Blade Runner. I've never seen it. Oh, I know. I know. And there's a sequel now, too, like 30 years after, and I still yeah, haven't the seen the original. Okay, I mean, but the original Blade Runner blew my mind. The Replicants. I, I know it. about it a bit, yeah. but. So did Alien, though. Aliens. She's never seen any of the Aliens you, movies. Oh, Kelly, you have to see the Alien movies. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, when, people, when I hear things like this, I go, how could you not have seen that? It's because I, new forget, great content is always coming out too, right? right? And that's what I forget is that I'm much older and I saw it when they were... Exactly. And that, and you didn't have a million choices. It was like right. that was yeah. what was yeah. playing at the theater yeah. and everyone was talking about it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, The Blue Adept is a good good, uh, good science fiction book or anything Heinlein. You used to read Piers Anthony a lot too. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. Oh, I thought you were going to go the other way just because you grew up with it probably. And Yeah, Lord, Lord of the Rings, they were good. But and Game of Thrones, little... everyone hated the ending too, apparently. Oh, the ending wasn't good, but the series was good. Same thing as Dexter, last season and the Never finale. Never saw the last season of Dexter. I, I didn't because I got it spoiled and it sounded terrible. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think Game of Thrones was, for me, was the, the better watch. But I've only seen the first three seasons that of that. Not that I don't respect Lord of the Rings. Like, they were good, but... I don't know. It's it's more adult, really. That's probably the main appeal, right? It's like a yeah. nothing had been doing it that way. That's it right. was like let's take fantasy and make it fucking hardcore rated R. Yeah. So spoiler, so block your ears right now if you haven't watched Game of Thrones. But when Ned Stark lost his head at the end of the first season, I, I was gonna say the Red Wedding is what everybody always talks well, about. Well, that that was just a shock. But when 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 Ned lost his head. Like he was like you thought the main character. The main you thought, yeah, yeah. Character though it was built around. It was a big psych out for and sure. It, yeah, and they just get rid of him. You go, okay, this is a different kind of a series. Yeah, you know. But I, then did I, they I, did they not kind of start doing that? Like that became the thing. Then it was like knocking people off. Yeah, it's, I almost went like feel like they went off the yeah. deep end with that a little bit after. They went off the deep end, but. No like, one's safe. That's like the vibe of that show. It's like someone's going to fucking die every second episode, and it's going to be someone you love. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. Walking Dead kind of did the same thing. And yeah. and Walking Dead I gave up on after a while. Um, it just went on too long. It was just – it was so bleak. I was like, I don't even want – I am almost rooting for these characters to die so they can be out of their misery because right now they're just watching somebody get picked off in a horrible way every couple weeks. And, you know um, – I stopped watching for a while. I tried to get back into it, and then I watched the fucking episode where Glenn gets his head bashed right. in. Have you seen that? No. 
it, I was actually in shock afterwards, I think. Like, I, I was th- disturbed. I, I remember being, like, going on my phone just trying to think about anything else because it was it was acted so well. The special effects were done so well. You basically watched a guy that you loved. He was one of the lovable characters, yeah, right? Was, and he yeah. had a kid on the way and all this yeah, shit. Yeah. You watch him get his fucking head beat in with a bat, and the first hit doesn't even kill him but makes him basically, like, it was that Negan guy with yeah, the spike. Negan, so it's a yeah. spiked bat going into his head, yeah. but he could still kind of talk and he's like, Maggie, I love you or whatever. But like, oh my God, it was uh, after yeah, that. I was yeah. like, I don't want to watch this anymore. I had stopped watching not too long before that. I think the, the end of the previous season was where I got to. Cause I remember they were introducing that they had some skirmishes with some of his people near the end of yeah, the yeah. season or something. Yeah, well, in the same episode with Glenn, it's like you think that's not enough. Either later that episode or the next episode. Again, spoilers. (laughs) Um, They're like, this guy's threatening to chop off um, Carl's arm, and Rick's like there. So then I'm like feeling as a father, like, oh my god, imagine if someone's gonna. And the kids saying like, no, Dad, let him do it because there was like a larger war at play, and he was trying to do it to make Rick submissive, basically, you know. And and the kid's so hardened by this fucked up life he's been living that he's like, no, Dad, I'll survive. And he loses an eye at some point. Like, I don't yeah, know. It just got so fucking that. bleak. Like, the whole thing so was... So, I think the thing with all these series, uh, it's it's a really tough thing for the showrunners, but series need to be like maybe... Th- the Brits do it good. Yeah. They have like maybe three seasons top, and it's it's usually... It's over. called writing the whole story before you fucking... That's right. Because what is these guys get... They get excited. They start making the money, and it gets hot, and, and it's like... Keep and it who's going. the most guilty? Keep Lost. Keep it going. Yo, lost. Yeah, we were balls deep that in that show. We that loved that show. Such a disappointment. Yeah, I remember. Like, I remember feeling it too when it got to uh, like the last four episodes, and we're starting to count down like the last episodes of this series. And I was like, "There's no fucking way they're gonna answer all the questions I still have." And as each episode went off, I was like, "Nope, they still didn't answer this thing." And then by the end, it was like basically purgatory, which they had told us at the very beginning it wasn't. Yeah. It just felt like a giant fuck you yeah. to the viewers, you know. Like, thanks for uh, paying our bills for the last six years, but uh, they just light it on fire. You know, the smoke monster. What the fuck was that? No one ever explained it. Anyway. um, So we're going to wrap it up with the same way that we have done every every time this season. Uh, I already told Kelly, I think when we officially start a new season, I'm going to switch up the end uh, question. Mm -hmm. But we're going to do it for now. So if you could have any superpower i just realized well yeah, i was gonna say you should have had this one ready to go you've watched yeah. a million people answer this question some people don't make it this far in our podcast so <laughs> i'm not sure if people realize how tradition this is but we always ask the guests uh if you could have any superpower what would it be and why uh so i'm sweating now jesus i think did we shut off the ac yeah I think I would go with no shit. the power to heal. I think that's, I know like a superpower goes not a super sexy one, like flying or invulnerability. Or I was going to say it almost seems just like outwardly altruistic, just like, you know what I would do? I'd fix the world. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, but, but, you know, could you just imagine if you have somebody who's horribly ill? That's true. And being able to touch them or lay hands on them or whatever, and they get miraculously better. Holy shit. Yeah. But, but then we're, that's so abusable yeah. because then does no one die anymore? Uh, Everyone's going to come to you like, fix they, me too. Or they chain you I up. just need another year with my daughter. And, yeah, <laughs> and then you're this guy who's like. shifting would be cool too. That was the one I always went with. Yeah. 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 See, this Chameleon is what boy, I. The Legion of Superheroes. It was cool. Changeling? Yeah. Or Beast no, Boy? No. Chameleon Lab. Oh, chame- oh. Yeah. 
or chameleon. I thought his name just was. Well, they changed. They changed right? over the time. Yeah. Chameleon boy, chameleon lad. You know. I feel like now this is the perfect. Uh, this really does show that we got to change the question though, because I'm starting to find when I ask this question, we're getting a lot of the same answers coming up. There's only so many, right? You know, unless you're super, super imaginative. But, uh, anyways, it's a good time to wrap it up. Kelly has to work in the morning. I'm sweating for some reason. I don't know why I got super <laughs> hot all of a sudden. Um, yeah. So thank you. I love you. Thank love you for being you a good dad and uh, helping with all this shit, obviously. And yeah. onwards uh, and upwards. Yeah. Well, who knows when the next episode's gonna be, but we'll let you know. So, and okay. we got a high five and high five it. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay. Oh, God, yeah, I'm dying of heat right now. <laughs>